0: me a go no go for launch
1: just when you think you're out they pull you back in i was gonna say something that was not true
2: i i don't know why we do these let's make film history
0: we are go for launch
1: welcome back everybody to the almost sideways podcast we're so glad you are joining us this is episode 121 Uh, We're recording this Sunday, April 11th at 3 o'clock Pacific time in the afternoon. I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me are Todd Plucknett, Zach Saltz, and Mr. Adam Daly. Joining us special for this episode for a very special deep dive. How's it going, Adam?
3: Heck yeah. I'm really excited to be here, guys. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a wicked awesome, wicked awesome episode.
1: I, I I like I asked him how he was doing, and his answer was, heck yeah that that's that's a great It's <laughs> a great response to how you're doing. Uh, well, we have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to get through, so let's just hop right into it. Zach, what are you drinking this fine afternoon?
2: I wish I was drinking cranberry juice. It's a natural diuretic, <laughs> but uh, instead, I am opting for some agua fria
1: we, we've We've got the the return of the Starbucks cup. Oh, it Easy. never goes away he's looking for he's looking for a sponsorship i i know it
2: i know it starbucks needs a little more money i'm 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 out there supporting small businesses i'm sponsored by starbucks water
1: (laughs) 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 all right uh todd what do you got
0: i'm drinking some corn whiskey it's called it's five o'clock somewhere which is appropriate because it's 5 o'clock in Kansas and Zach's not drinking alcohol, so screw you. <laughs> yeah,
2: New well, what, you drinking for? what the hell is with the Gangs of New York poster behind? This is a Boston-themed episode, man. You're living in the past. That movie it's is a and the Oscars. A co- We're talking about an Oscar winner today. Not one that got nominated for 10, but end up with squat. Or as Sergeant Dignam would put, <laughs> squat. Sorry, I'll shut up. Yeah. Adam, <laughs> what are you drinking?
3: Um, I got a a, a vodka cranberry. <laughs> yes, I got cranberry juice. Cranberry. I, got, I, I did
0: a cranberry juice. I like the Vegas cup.
3: Yeah, heck yeah! This is what a Starbucks actually. Starbucks Vegas cup. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: the Almost Sideways Podcast sponsored by Starbucks cups. Yeah. Um. So Todd, is your is your corn whiskey uh Old Soldier or is it a
0: no, it's called It's Five O'Clock Somewhere. I okay.
1: it's. Not, I, I didn't know if it was I from the...
0: No, it's not from the the Old Soldier Distillery. They, uh-huh. they, I don't think they... The, that one doesn't really have a name, I don't think. It's just they're white whiskey.
1: Gotcha. Alright, well, I have Uh, this is... I went to the brewery and uh, in honor of our review that we're doing today, I I have a nice dark beer. This is called Night Hike. And so since we're going to be Delving into the vastness of night and darkness, it's a Cascadian dark ale, so I, I went with I went with that.
2: Wouldn't it, it have been more appropriate? Irish. Wouldn't it have been more appropriate it, to get a blue blue beer to inhibit your feelings? Well, that that would
1: have been more appropriate. Some blue yeah. drink, yeah. either cool either, either for for that or or I I should have gone and gotten like the super bad cocktail and just gone with that. Or is that green beer? I always forget. I think that was a tide oh yeah yes
0: yeah it's, it's green beer for information
1: there we go there we go all right well uh let's hop into what we've been watching this week and uh we all have our gimmicks and i heard adam has a special gimmick for us this week too so we're gonna start with adam what did you watch this week
3: oh i forgot to pull it up so i can get some more information on it for you <laughs> one second dude dude I had a lot to do. No, okay. So my gimmick, uh, anybody guess can anybody guess what my gimmick is, actually? That's a, that's the question.
2: You're telling me your gimmick isn't Yoda being a Mariners fan? There's there's a difference. <laughs> that's,
3: that's actually canon, actually.
1: That's canon. <laughs> <laughs> uh what's your, your year gimmick? it is? Mm, okay. Your um, gimmick is uh, wrestling documentaries.
3: Wrestling that could be it. No, no, no. So we're gonna but go animated Batman. Animated Batman. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Nice. I got it. <laughs> I figured might as well. There was a Batman movie that came out from two, a 2021 Batman movie called Batman Soul of the Dragon. Uh, it, it's a kind of a throwback animated film. I, it's, it's after last year, they kind of ended their ongoing storyline of films. Let me click over here. Um, oh. I am back. I messed up. <laughs>
1: No, I think we both clicked it at the same time. There you go.
3: Okay, there we go. Okay. So Batman, Soul of the Dragon is a 19... takes place in the 1970s where Batman meets a kind of a, a Bruce Lee kind of character. So it's a martial arts Batman movie. Uh, and it's not Batman Ninja, which is another film that came out a few years ago. But it shows uh, Bruce Wayne in the 1970s, uh, a missing teacher of martial arts is a subject of the quest of it by his devoted and brilliant but <laughs> distant students who include batman so yeah this is a weird kind of film that i'm not really a huge fan of but it fits this uh kind of this realm of these animated batman movies that i do kind of really enjoy i think that this one has really cool action sequences that uh you get into some more of cool action sequences in these dc animated films they always kind of do a good job but with this one with that aesthetic of the 1970s i'm kind of thrown off because i kind of liked the continual storyline that they were doing up till up to apocalypse war last year and now that it's kind of like individual stories this one didn't really stand out compared to the other ones that are have been individualized stories uh the soundtrack's pretty cool the visuals are pretty cool but the story just is really kind of rather boring and bland for me i don't really care about any of the characters they try to set up and they also try to set up for a sequel um i'm more excited for Batman: The Long Halloween, which is a, one of his awesome storyline arcs that they do. And yeah, I'm not going to talk too much about this because I can see everybody's eyes glaze over. So Batman: The Long, Batman: The Soul of the Dragon is a two-star film for me. So there we go. Boom.
1: All right, all right. So let's move on from that, and let's go to uh, let's go to Todd in the Cager.
0: All right, my cager review is from nineteen eighty-nine, directed by Giuliano Montaldo, and it is called Time to Kill. Ah. Nice. Where Cage plays Lieutenant Enrico Not, oh, Time. To that's kill. No, just Time to Kill. Uh, <laughs> he's an Italian soldier in when the in the Italian invasion or invasion of Ethiopia in 1936, and he has a bad tooth. So he decides he's gonna trek out and try to find like the closest camp hospital. And on the way his vehicle crashes and he gets some advice to go through the jungle and things get weird from there. He comes across and like rapes this woman who kind of takes a liking to him and then like tragedy strikes. And yeah, he has a leprosy scare. He has a big old gash on his hand and his uh, commanding officer is uh, played by Giancarlo Giannini. And he doesn't give a shit about what happened when he relays the story to him. The movie was never officially released in the U S. So the copy I saw was pretty horrible. Like all the actors are Italians except for cage. And so everything comes off really cartoonish. But originally, for whatever reason, it was shot in English and then dubbed into Italian for its release in Italy. I really don't understand what the hell is up with that country sometimes. But however, so the version I saw was dubbed back into English, retranslating the really rough subtitles to begin with. And so the translation of a translation is pretty bad. And Cage's voice is the only one that actually matches the mouth moving which uh, after a while, I guess you get used to it, and, and, but it's edited in a way that's pretty incoherent. Uh, it's it's kind of confusing, but it's a weird ass movie. At one point, Cage, he uh, he finds an iguana and he catches it and he gives it his cigarette. And then the, the iguana just is like walking around with it hanging out of his mouth like a G. And, and evidently that was like cut out of the international release in some countries for like animal abuse or something. But it's got like this fake artsiness at times of like Captain Crowley's mandolin, but it feels like casualties of war or something like really eighties. Uh, it it feels like it was destined for the Vietnam War, and it probably would have been if it wasn't based on a book. The score is done by Ennio Morricone, but honestly, the movie is pretty messed up. Like it's hardly fun to watch, uh, other than Cage, but it's it's watchable and shocking and kind of offbeat. I can't say I've seen anything like it necessarily. And there's plenty of Cage freakouts. Like he, he's little Stanley Goodspeed in his line delivery. He screams a little kid and he shoots a hyena. I, I mean, I don't know. And there's also this really awesome batch of international posters that have a completely different vibe than what you ex- actually see in the movie. And one of them, Cage, kind of looks like he's a werewolf or something. I, I don't. And it, and it was really funny when that moment comes up in the in the in the movie because I was like, "Oh, that's the poster." I was like, "That's really random." I actually kind of have a little affection for the movie, but I can't exactly give it a positive grade. So I'm landing at two and a half stars and putting it at number 40 on the cager between Drive Angry and World Trade Center. Yeah, time to kill.
1: Time to kill. Wow, that. How is that? How is that an 80s movie? That sounds like something Cage would have made in the last 10 years.
0: With yeah, that well, but he's an Italian product. soldier. I don't know that he could have still been doing that. He, pro- I mean, he probably would have. I mean, he's played Italian soldiers before, like
2: Captain Corelli.
0: Yeah, I was like, yeah, I mean, th- there is a little bit of
1: that in there, but
2: when you said, yeah. uh, "Oh, go ahead, Terry," I, I was just going to say,
1: "What's up with another cage movie with an iguana?" I mean,
2: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: After after uh, Bad Lieutenant, I, that that's just that's just weird.
0: You guys should look up the posters. Like, if it is really weird how how the really different batch of posters they have, and they're all kind of awesome.
2: Yeah, the poster on IMDb would like go up in my dorm room. I think what I was uh, what I was more struck by was when you said the word, you know, little Stanley Goodspeed. I thought you were talking about like a prequel to Stanley Goodspeed, a la Young Sheldon. That that would make a great movie or CBS sitcom on a Tuesday night. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That, that would be interesting. Interesting for sure. All right. Zach, what uh, what Criterion did you watch for us this week?
2: All right. Well, I'm still sticking with Germany. I don't know. I feel like that's a blind spot in my love of Criterion films, particularly new German cinema, the 1970s. And this week I went with a classic, uh, apparently. Ali, Fear Eats the Soul. No, this movie is not about Muhammad Ali with trash talk telling you know uh, for Joe Fraser, that he's going to eat his soul that's always what I kind of thought this movie was but it's actually a really sweet movie by Rainier Werner Fassbender who was a very prodigious director in uh, Germany in the 1970s he made I want to say like 40 or 50 movies he did it at a Clint Eastwood like pace he did it like you know one movie every month or so it felt like Uh, He died pretty early on, um, but he left behind this big legacy of movies. And he was also a big fan of American movies, particularly films of Douglas Sirk. And Ollie It's the Soul is a movie that also has had influences on directors like Todd Haynes. And actually on the Criterion (coughs) DVD, Todd Haynes talks about uh, how this film influenced uh, Far From Heaven, which apparently one of us has not seen on this podcast. Maybe we'll get into that a little later. Anyway, uh, Ali Fear it's the Soul is the story of a uh, widow, an elderly German lady pra- played by Brigitte Mira. And at the beginning of the movie, she goes into this bar on a rainy night. And the bar is inhabited by uh, mostly Arab immigrants. And one of them is named Ali. He's played by El Hadi Ben Salem, uh, who apparently was Fassbender's lover in real life. Interesting, that, that, this interesting subplot there. Um But uh, this young uh, Arab man is about 30 years younger than her. And um, against uh, all logic, I guess, uh, they start a romantic relationship. It's a little Harold and Maude-ish. And I cannot help but notice the similarities between Bridget Mira and Phyllis, Miles's mother. I mean, she would have made a perfect Phyllis in the 1970s version of Sideways. Anyway, um, they, uh, they have a relationship. And of course, everybody around uh, this, this place, they, I think they're in Munich, is very um, uh, uh, racist toward Ali. Uh, this is a really good movie. It's about um, racism and this kind of unusual dynamic relationship. What I like about it is that the movie doesn't really romanticize the relationship. The character of Emmy is also kind of prejudiced in her own way. It's a solid three and a half star movie. It's probably my the, my favorite Fast Fassbender movie that I've seen. My favorite part of the Criterion Blu-ray is uh, they talk to the editor of the movie who talks about how... Uh, difficult it was editing movies in the 1970s, especially with the pace that fastbender was at. Like the, the 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 track died and they had to re-record all the audio. What is with European movies in the 70s having to dubbing? I really hate that stuff. And also did um, some really cool stuff about uh, new German cinema. There's a nice feature on that. And Volker Schlondorf, the director of the movie I reviewed last week, looks so much like Stanley Tucci in The Lovely Bones. Like he's got the kind of like to catch a predator look. He's bald, got the thick rimmed glasses. And of course, there's an the appearance by Werner Herzog. Great movie. Check it out. Classic uh, 1970s new German cinema. Ali Fury's the Soul. Really, really cool movie.
0: I don't think I've I- ever seen a Fassbinder movie.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I haven't seen a lot of it. I, I saw, um, what's the one? Uh, the Marriage of Maria Braun. And I think I fell asleep during another one, but he made like so many of them. But this this one is one of the more highly regarded ones. So very much worth checking out. I think it's actually aged really well.
0: Shows he made 20, 23 movies in, yeah, like 13 years.
3: Oh, I didn't, oh, I I didn't know Michael Fassbender was a director.
2: Uh, the spelling is a little different. Uh, I'm actually, just kidding, by the way. Yeah, and if if uh, a movie was ever made about Rainier Fassbender, it would he would have to be played by Paul Walk- Walker Hauser or Macon Blair. One of the two. Maybe they could have a baby, and that, that's who would play it.
1: I'm just glad Adam was able to make my joke before me, since it was it came off so horribly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say something like I I, I loved him in X Men. He, he was good in that. <laughs> um, all right. So there we go. Uh, now it's time for my Oscar watch. Uh, and uh, there's going to be no guessing here because there's no way you're getting this. Um, because it's a documentary nominee from 20 years ago, 2001. Uh, I haven't seen, before this week, I hadn't seen any of the uh, best documentary uh, nominees from 2001. And so this is the first one. I'll be watching all five throughout this year. And this one is called Children Underground. It's directed by Edith Bellsberg. And uh, it is it takes place in Romania and it looks at a time in Romania after um, the communist reign had fallen in Romania. And at the end of that reign, uh, the communist dictator had decided to uh, ban abortions and all contraception and encourage uh, its citizens to uh, to have as many children as possible to build the workforce And then when everything fell, it ended up just being that you had a lot of um, homeless and abandoned children. And so the uh, Children Underground is about a group of kids in Budapest who live a homeless life and inside of a subway station and kind of run themselves. Uh, The kids range from like ages eight to 16. And uh, and it's just a, a slice of life for them. Uh, honestly, this is really kind of a hard documentary to watch because there is—it's just—it's just heartbreaking to see these kids in the in this situation. <clears throat> and like I said, it's really just kind of a slice of life. It, it's just a camera watching what happens to them, um, and they—they they beg for food a lot of times. They're just hanging out, uh, getting high, sniffing paint. Um, they are just really and begging people who are waiting for the subway it's it's really kind of sad there are some people who uh some social workers that will come by make sure that they that they get new clothes that they get a haircut um there was there's some that come by trying to find uh find care homes for them and and rooms and orphanages some left abusive home uh situations some just were abandoned um yeah like I said, it's kind of brutal to watch. I was kind of thinking it would get a little bit more into the, um, the political situation that, uh, that sparked this because it, it starts off by saying this is the fault of the, the failed political uh, scene in Romania at the beginning of the nineties. And then it doesn't touch it again. It just kind of leaves it there and then just follows the kids. Um, I would have liked a little more explanation, especially since I'm not a big Romanian history buff. But um, other than that, it, I mean, it's it, it's a kind of a fascinating watch. I'm giving it three stars um, and and yeah, fascinating watch, but a brutal watch as well. So, uh, yeah, not not one. If you want light, light entertainment, don't watch Children Underground. But um, it, it is a, it is a fascinating look at uh, at some rough times that were going on in that country about 20 years ago. Has there ever been a happy
2: movie that came out of Romania?
1: <laughs> That's a good question. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know if I'd ever seen another Romanian movie. Um. So yeah, this was the first of the, of the best documentary ones I'd seen from 2001. And it really feels like it didn't belong there. I mean, looking at its track record, it was nominated at the Oscars. It was nominated at the Indie Spirits. It won the Gotham Award for Best Documentary and won the Sundance Award for Best Documentary. Wasn't nominated anywhere else. So um, this one kind of came out of nowhere and uh, and got into the Oscar conversation. So there we go.
0: Haven't you seen? Haven't you seen Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days, Terry?
1: Oh, is that? I guess that is Romanian, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So I've seen that one. I've seen that one. Uh, All right. So there we go. That is our. Or What We've Been Watching segment. Now let's get into our featured review. And for our featured review, we all went to the theaters. Adam, for the first time since this whole thing happened. No, and, was freaky. Uh, and we went and saw Voyagers, the new release from Neil Berger. Uh, and Zach, we're going to go to you first
2: to talk to us. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I want to hear Adam. Okay. I, let's go to Adam. All right, we're, we're going to go to Adam first then. Adam, because tell I, us.
3: Man. Okay.
2: He, he, he mentioned it on Twitter. He's calling out this movie already. He's gotta defend himself.
3: <laughs> okay, okay. And I, I want to hear about you. his experience. All right. Okay.
2: So Adam, you're first then. Tell us about your
1: your film going experience on Voyagers.
3: Okay, what Voyager. His dog thought too. Yeah, my my dog, yeah. All right. Okay, so yeah, this was I did go see Freaky like before everything closed down. I like COVID happened last year shut down everything. Then they opened up for like a a couple months, like a month or two. We went to see freaky and then we hadn't been back since. So this is the first time this year. And I was happy. I I will say this, that it was nice to be back at the movies. We got, you know, we had a really cool, awesome wonder woman, popcorn tin. Look at this thing. This thing's beautiful, right? That's sweet. That's way better than the movie. Uh, Anyway. um, So you guys had an option to watch thunder force on netflix or voyagers in the theater and you know we looked at the trailer before we went because we really didn't know anything about it and the trailer looked fantastic it had you know we saw Colin Farrell in it. And we're like oh ty sheridan from ready player one he's in also x-men you know i was like is that johnny depp's daughter she's in this one and we were kind of excited and going back to the movie theater and you know got our snacks went into the the, the seat and before I get too f- more into my thoughts on it, you know, if you guys didn't know, Voyagers was directed by Neil Berger, also written by him. and It's by a crew of astronauts of a multi generational mission descending into paranoia and madness, not knowing what is real or not. That's a really bad description on IMDb. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, my uh, my thoughts about this film is that the it had, uh, has had promise in the opening couple minutes. And then it kind of slowly just became a very really dull and boring film that I, I, it has grander dreams of being a better movie than it actually pays off for me. Uh, the performances were pretty kind of just drama filled, really just kind of not really there for me. I, the, the best uh, actor performance here is probably Colin Farrell, but he also has, he has the most experience in front of the camera, doing just being good, and even in bad movies, so he is uh, decent in, in this one in, in a way. But uh, Ty Sheridan, I've I've re- quickly realized whilst I was watching, he's he's good for making one face, since this with his eyebrows, he's like kind of just uh, like kind of like grimace with his face. That's pretty much what he does in every single movie now. And uh, I don't I don't know this. There's something about this film that it was just boring. <laughs> I uh, did not find really anything that I kind of really liked about it. The score was kind of fine. Some of the visuals were okay, and the uh, set design was pretty much the same thing, we're just rehashed over and over again, and the neon lights were also kind of cool. But th- that couldn't trick me into liking this movie. I'd rather watch Thunder Force, and that's what I said on Twitter that Zach was alluding to, was that I would rather watch Thunder Force on Netflix uh, again than watch another minute of this movie. Because my wife and I walked out, and were like, what the hell did we just watch? It was basically just... Uh, uh, an excuse for the director to watch these teenagers kind of have a, uh, an out of body experience or maybe an in body experience to be su- super like a horny expedition to space. That's what it kind of felt like to me. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was God dang. I, I, I don't know. We just kind of looked at each other like, well, we're back at the movies. Can't get, <laughs> we we picked the wrong one to go to, but we we were here and we, we enjoyed the experience, not the movie so much, but, the popcorn was dang good i can definitely tell you that so that there is my quick thoughts on voyagers
1: so so what's your rating on this one uh
3: 0. 0.5
1: 0. 0.5 0.5 <laughs> and it wow. is a 0. 0.5 for the popcorn that one that, that also this tin this tin yeah, okay okay the tin the tin the tin look gave at, it look at that color you
3: can't beat this color here look at this color well that color is worth right. another half star
1: i think it needs to be one star
3: no no no, <laughs> no. the color's not that good <laughs>
1: all right well zach can i can i go last i want yeah let's let's go last let's go last yeah Uh, he doesn't
0: have an opinion he's gonna make it whatever he's gonna like he's gonna end up liking it because
1: all right all right (laughs) Todd, how about you go next
0: okay i mean this movie's not as bad as adam making it seem like um one thing that stood out to me was obviously the math is really messed up here like it says that it takes 86 years to get there and their, grand- their grandkids are going to be the ones that land. But, I mean, they're only, like, 10 when they start this thing. So, it's obviously, some room. of them are still going to be alive. Their kids are obviously going to be alive, a lot of them, especially when it's, like, a nutrition-centric and controlled environment. That was kind of weird. But, I mean, I don't know. The acting's kind of fine. I'm, I kind of miss this, like, old um, movie star uh, leading man, Colin Farrell, like a brooding Colin Farrell. He's really good in this. And he, we, yeah. we haven't seen him act like this in quite a while. Uh, Ty Sheridan, I love in everything, but he's too cool for that role. Like you need someone who's less convince- convincing as like a potential badass. Like five years ago, this would have been like a really interesting movie with Anton Yelchin and Olivia Cook, which I, I think would have fit it a lot more than Lily Rose Depp and uh, and um, Ty Sheridan. And Fionn Whitehead, it's he's sufficient, but it's apparent from the first moment you see him that he's the bad guy. Like he looks like young Doug Ray Scott. Like it's like, yep, yeah, there's the bad guy. Um <laughs> But uh, Neil Brooker is a really, really good filmmaker. But uh, unfortunately, this t- uh, trails more to his, his like Divergent era of filmmaking than it does anything else. Like from the director of The Illusionist, is kind of a disappointment. The premise I think is kind of ingenious, but it needed like a, a screenwriter, someone more polished that could foster the believability of the script and the and like make the story kind of actually legible. It's way too like YA and not enough like mind bending creativity stuff. There was a little bit of that, but not enough. And also, you think that the mission leaders would have questioned at some point whether it was a good idea to send 30 children by themselves into space. So when, when Richard, the Colin Farrell character, has his like volunteering thing, it just rang false to me. It was kind of dumb. And, and plus, if there's like one bad seed in the 30th, then there's obviously going to be some for multiple generations. And But they make the future kind of seem really idyllic, which is odd. I did really like the production design. In uh, it, I it, it was probably a pretty small set, but it made it seem pretty expansive and real. It, that it alone made it not drag for me. Like I, I it actually kind of flies by. I, I, Adam was way wrong on that, but the uh, the movie kind of gets weird and dumb once uh, Richard goes away from the story. There's obviously a lot of Lord of the Flies uh, type chaos going on. There's a little of The Fountain and a little of like Ender's Game. But I'm not sure any of those are necessarily the right way to go. It has a lot of things going for it, but I can't. I don't think the movie can actually get out of its own way. But I did sort of like it, so I'm giving it two stars.
1: All right, all right. Yeah, I'll go next. Um, I'm pretty much right with Todd. Uh, I thought it was it. It had my interest for the whole time, and, but I wasn't necessarily entertained by it the whole time. Um, there were definitely things that I was like, okay, that was that was a weird spot for the story to go. And that that was not very good dialogue, but um, but it had me entertained. Looking at the cast, this is like a great cast of young actors, too. I mean, Ty Sheridan has definitely been in some stuff. Young Whitehead headed up Dunkirk. Uh, you have Brandon Stark himself in here, Isaac Hempstead right. Um, Archie Medecwe, I remember seeing him. Oh, what was he in? He was in something. Um What was he in? He was in Midsummer, Yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, you've got these these guys who have shown that they've got some some acting chops. And then, of course, you have Lily Rose Depp, who all I could think of looking at her was she has her dad's eyes like that. That just was like creepy. Just watching her her stare longingly at Ty Sheridan. Like, yeah, those are those are Johnny Depp's eyes. Kind of in a similar way, Todd still thinks I'm crazy, but Paul Sorvino and Mira Sorvino have the exact same eyes and it's kind of creepy. Um, anyways, yeah, I, I was I was interested by it. I came home and I and I looked at my wife and when she asked how it was, and I said, It's Laura of the Flies in Space. Um that's really what what it is. Um I will say the last scene, like the climactic scene, it... it is like the worst like space reality moment in any movie in space ever. I mean, it it just the the way <laughs> the way it handles that like there's no way I'll I'll just say this, there's no way that should have gone on for an extra 45 seconds. Uh there it, it was it it was done. It was done. And then it, and it, but it wasn't. But uh yeah, I'm giving it 2 stars. it, it was fine it wasn't it wasn't great but it wasn't bad um i was entertained by it for the most part um i I agree with todd that it was a little too ya at times um yet not also at the same time like i saw this film almost got an r rating but um and yeah anyways that's that's what those are my thoughts two stars so we have uh, Adam saying it is one of the worst movies he's ever seen. Todd oh, and I are right, saying, "Ah, it's, it's not, not
3: that, that bad." bad. <laughs> it's not one of the worst movies ever, but <laughs> you gave it a half star. <laughs> I was, but and the, I love you the... said
1: the half star was for the popcorn.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But hey, you're you're spot on about that ending. I'm like, I hope they never actually show that they actually get to that planet, and they did. And I was like.
1: Really? No, it It wasn't. It wasn't even that. I I, now that's not what I was talking about. I was talking about the the uh, final showdown between Christopher and Zach. Oh yeah.
3: Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. That
1: that was that was bad in so many ways. For for a space junkie like me, that was just bad. All right, Zach, you've been waiting,
2: you've been listening. What are your thoughts? 3.5. 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's a terrible score. Because this is a good movie. And let me tell you why it's a good movie. People are getting sidetracked by the fact that... I'm actually going to completely disagree with something that Terry said. People are getting sidetracked by the fact that, frankly, this movie is poorly acted. Okay, I was not impressed by any of the performances in it, with the exception of Colin Farrell. I feel like particularly... Fionn Whitehead, is, is that his name, as Zach? I mean, he looks like Jonathan Landis, Ryder Strong, early 90s, like, you know, badass, you know, rebel kid. It really didn't like it. Uh, I, I felt like Lily Rose Depp, I don't know, needed needed a booster shot of a B12 or something. And uh, Ty Sheridan was doing his best, like, young James Kirk impersonation, but it just didn't work. The okay, reason I why will, Hold people- on, I
1: will say, I didn't say it was great acting. I just said it
2: was notable actors. Well, you know, we could actually recast The Departed as these actors if you really think (laughs) about it. But anyway, uh, I like this movie. I don't know. I I don't understand the hate behind it. I I think it has a really great premise. Uh, Okay, yeah, it's a little Lord of the Flies, but so what? I mean, there's been other stuff that's Lord of the Flies. No one had any problem with that. Uh, I feel like this movie is inventive. I think it's realistic in the way that these characters start the movie so heavily sedated because of the blue liquid that they're drinking. And then they start to question, you know, the the, the authority of the Colin Farrell character who himself also doesn't have all the authority uh, you know, on this ship, which I think is really interesting. Um, I think it. it, it uh, what I like about it is that it, it doesn't need to explain every little detail because the movie is fundamentally more of a character study than anything else, even though it's poorly acted. But the characters themselves are kind of interesting, realistic. I wish, I, if, if I had another criticism of the movie, if, I, I wish that they had gone outside the Sila, Zach, and Christopher kind of trio. Those are the only three characters we really learn anything about. Um, It would have been nice to see some of the other characters uh, in a little bit more depth. But uh, no, this this movie had me really interested. I, I was not bored by it at all. Uh, it, 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 is, it does feel like a slightly longer movie. I like that it doesn't really have to resort to violence until the end of the movie. I mean, yeah, okay, the climactic battle scene, you know, it's somewhat obligatory and expected. But actually, I thought it was pretty well done for the most part. I agree with Todd's point that it has really interesting production design. This ship, I think, looks really unique. I don't think I've, I've seen quite another ship that looks like the way it does. I think there's some questions about whether there is some sort of extraterrestrial force on the uh, exterior of the ship. I thought that was really intriguing. And then of course, this whole dynamic of, you know, Piggy and Lord of the Flies, I, I bought it. I, I thought it was really uh, captivating for the most part. I agree that the last, I think it's more Adam's point. I agree that the last like 45 seconds of this movie is kind of lame. I wish it kind of just ended with that like really cool push forward shot. I think visually Neil Berger does a lot of cool things in this movie. Like I I like the insert shots of like the flowers. They're like Darren Aronofsky and Requiem for a Dream. They're like these insert shots that are meant to reflect, you know, flowers blooming and water pouring out. And I thought that was cool. I don't know. I I don't know what people don't like about this movie. I think it was perfectly fine. It's a solid three-star movie. I want to give it three and a half just to say screw y'all, but I, it's not really that great of a movie. But I enjoyed myself. No, no problem whatsoever with this movie, except the, except for the acting. The acting is very ya. It feels like they sh- probably shouldn't have gone to the to uh, you know uh, actors who look like they should be on the CW. I guarantee you that if you know uh, if uh, Timothy Timothy Chalamet had been in this movie and Florence Pugh, this would be getting thumbs up. Okay, it's just it, the, 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 the acting is just a little heavy handed. And Adam yeah. is is so
3: disgusted that he, he felt he he, he
1: just walked out. He he left. <laughs> he left.
3: <laughs> Wait, did you say Timothy Sommel? Yeah, that's a three star movie at least. Yeah, <laughs> Timothy Sommel, Florence Pugh. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, you know what? I actually agree with a lot of what you said, Zach. I I really wanted to wanted to like this movie, and I like I said, I was I was interested by it. I feel like this. Um, this is kind of in a similar category to me as, uh, passengers that, um, that Chris Pratt, Jennifer Lawrence movie,
2: this where is better than passengers. it wasn't,
1: it wasn't a great movie, but it's extremely watchable. And, and like I could sit down and I could rewatch passengers any day. And I feel like I could sit down and rewatch voyagers any day, knowing it it's kind of this just lost like awesomely bad movie. And, and just know that it's, you're not, if you know what you're getting into, You'll be fine. That, that's kind. Of, I was kind of in a similar boat as you. I just took the the drawbacks a little more seriously.
2: <laughs> I want to know what was in Adam's popcorn. That's the real question. <laughs> you want to well, know? See, huh? he, he, I, this is this must be what happened.
1: He had the exact same experience with Voyagers that you had with nobody. Oh,
2: nobody's terrible. Where though. you
1: went back to the theater for the first time. And you sit down in that movie theater and you say, wait, I came back for this. No, it was the
2: second time I'd been in theater. I saw the father first. And oh, okay. uh,
1: well, and, and that, then that gave you ridiculous, unrealistic expectations of what you were going to expect from the theater. No, yeah, I think that's what it was. You were like, I came back to the theater for this. And Adam's kind of in a similar boat. I came back to the theater for this. Like, we were even joking. That Voyagers, you were either going to say it was a four star masterpiece or you were going to give it one star and say it was the worst movie ever made because you had to waste money on it. And and uh, and you now you're giving given it a higher play. rating if it didn't
0: have the same Rotten Tomato score as Hillbilly Elegy. So we had
2: to go with the same. score. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean,
2: that's if you're going to psychoanalyze me, you know, Vera Farmiga, then you should be looking at the fact <laughs> that I'm, I'm looking at that 27 percent score and thinking, what are these critics are being way too harsh for this movie? Let's let's get realistic when you have nobody at like an 80 percent. I mean, come on, get real. It,
1: that does seem it, low. Yeah, that does seem low
2: and it's for stupid reasons too. I mean it's for it's for reasons that if you're going crit- to criticize the movie for, you know, being YA, that's the actor's fault. The movie itself is pretty good. I you, you got at some point you got to decide is the acting going to bother you that much to let it impact your assessment of the movie? For me it didn't bother me. I just kind of moved on. I thought it was it was more interesting than the acting. I can
3: go. With but that. I also thought thought the script was cannot, not that great either, so the actors didn't have anything to really to work with. So their performances kind of reflect what the script was.
2: What was wrong with the script? It had a great. I think we can all agree it had a great premise. Uh, it, it, I, th- the I think concept was, was
3: better than un- the dialogue.
2: Unpredictable. The
3: concept was went, definitely better than the dialogue. Yes.
2: The dialogue is because the actors, man, they, they, they need more. They don't right write the dialogue. <laughs> they need more energy.
3: They weren't taking enough of the blue shit. But that's maybe that was the re, that's maybe their interpretation of the role. If this is gonna, what this podcast is going to be, I'm going to need another one of these things. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we've got uh, we've got Adam
1: with a half star. We've got Todd and I with two stars. Zach's at three. It's in theaters right now. Um, I was going to say it might not be in theaters very long because nobody went to see it. But at the same time, nothing else is really coming out, so it might be in the theaters for a while. Um, I think it's worth a watch. So if you want something to go back to the theaters for, *Voyagers*. If you want some some good YA sci-fi, uh, check it out. All right, it is now time for our deep dive, and uh, I got to pick this week. And getting ready for the Oscars in a couple weeks, I felt like we needed to celebrate one more uh, Best Picture winner uh, that is celebrating an anniversary. So. Our first 2006 deep dive uh, celebrating the 15th anniversary. I can't believe it's been 15 years of the departed. When I was your age, they would say we could become cops or criminals. What I'm saying is this. When you're facing a loaded gun, what's the difference? So, Ooh. This is why, and this is why Adam is here. Adam has this as, I think it's still his number one movie of all time.
3: Oh, right. it, yeah. It's still my favorite. Yes.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's why, uh, that's why Adam is here. Um, if we were going to talk The departed, we had to have the whole gang together. So it is, uh, we, we're going to start with trivia here and, uh, Adam as the honored guest is going to host trivia.
3: So, all right. Yeah. Adam, take it away. I probably should have told you this beforehand. Get some pieces of paper because all three of you guys are going to get quizzed at the same time. Pen- okay. Pencils and paper. Pencils and paper, guys. So that you can write your answers because we're not going to do first one to buzz in. It's You guys can all earn points together. So, how this is this going to work? I got about how many questions I got? I think I got 11, 10 to 11 questions. I can't remember. Worth 22 points. And we're going to go from there. <laughs> how many times in the departed. Do they say the word "fuck"? Oh gosh! <laughs> closest one without going over gets the point. Don't show oh. your answer right now. Don't okay. show your All answer. Right.
0: Wait, without going over.
3: Without going over, Price is Right rules. Without going oh. over, closest one without going over. Zach. Okay, five, four, three, two, and one. All right, we're start. With, we're start with Zach. Let's see here. We got, we got one twenty-one from Terry. We got two. Is that 210 from yeah, Zach? Yep. And uh, Todd, what do you got? 475. 475 from Todd. The closest one without going, the correct answer, 237. Wow. That's 237. I said 238 originally,
2: and then I, I would have been off with Price's Right rules. Yeah.
3: Well, uh, what, 550 was the Wolf of Wall Street. That was yeah. going uh, to that, 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 that was the best, is, yeah. is
0: right around there, too. I, I thought this was
3: around there, but okay, maybe not. All right. OK, so question number two, guys, is there's a p- total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven correct answers. Second, seven points are up for grabs. OK, what did Colin Sullivan go home with after his first encounter with Frank Costello? It's a great film, right? Great film. <laughs> all right, we're going to go five, yeah. four, yeah, I got. three, two and one. Now we're gonna start with Terry first because oh. this is a little
1: Terry I've got four things. I got bread, mayo, a comic book, and peanut butter.
3: So you got three points. It's bread, mayo, and comic book is for sure the answer. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll go to Zach next. I went. Let's two, see, ha- two, ha-
2: two half gallons of milk, a comic book, three loaves of bread, meat cutlets,
3: and Mariner's Fan Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two half gallons of milk. A, or a couple half gallons of milk, comic book, three loaves or loaves of bread, meat cutlets. Um uh, okay, said I, he said some meat, but it's not quite. You have to do a thing this after, after that. But baby Yoda, no, uh, <laughs> yeah, so you got three points, three points on that one as well. Todd, what do you got? We got paper okay, bag, we got... yes, <laughs> <laughs> <Or more good laughs> paper bag. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's a. I, I'm giving Todd a point for that because I did not write that. That's a great, great thing. Oh, we
0: That's forgot so the stupid. change. Yeah, I got, yeah, I got, got Wolverine comic, money, there. beer, paper bag, and bread. Okay, beer? Wait, say say beer. Say that One more
3: time.
0: Say that one more time, Todd. Wolverine comic, money,
3: beer, paper bag, and bread. <laughs> I don't know. I he was on not the beer. So I right. think you got four points there. I think. I think. Okay. So what I saw was a couple of loaves of bread. Couple half gallons of milk, baloney and cheese slash cold cuts. A couple cold cuts, mayo, chicken noodle and beef soup from Campbell's. He didn't. They never said that, but they oh. they they the diner guy got it. Comic books and a handful of change, and apparently, a paper bag.
0: It wasn't a paper bag.
3: <laughs> you, you got you got a point for paper bag. <laughs> no, that, no, I that, got a no point. That's a genius. That's a genius. That's a great right one. There. All right, our next question. So we're we're at four four three. So Terry has three. So. But it's time to catch up. Here we go. What was Collins rugby number? <laughs> what was Collins <laughs> rugby number? That was Matt Damon's character. We're gonna go five, four, three, two, and one. We're gonna start with Zach or Terry here. What does Terry say? I'm going 23. 23. All right. Zach, what do you have? Yeah, 10 he, he what was that his his friend was not number nine okay okay 10 good job zach okay uh todd what what do you have i wrote 45 45 the correct answer 10 yeah. of course zach gets the point i guess just get another point
2: his friend was nine that wasn't, that wasn't the question a... though
3: yeah
2: <laughs> it's more impressive than a paper bag me a break
1: <laughs> his friend you, you're talking what derrigan was nine
3: yeah derrigan whatever his okay. name is Oh, no, he didn't know the name so if you had the name of the character maybe I don't think
0: isn't it, it berrigan no
3: it's derrigan
1: derrigan, derrigan.
3: is it Derek? i don't enough. know i don't know james Dale. that guy yeah okay Super what berrigan. did billy Co- <laughs> question number three or yeah three no four what did billy costigan get on his sat five four three two one terry what do you got Whoa, I dropped it. Hold on. He dropped his thing. Fourteen hundred. Fourteen hundred. We got we got a point for Terry. Zach, what you got? Wrong. You're good to go, Terry.
2: What did you
3: say? Thirteen seventy. Thirteen twenty. Sorry. Thirteen twenty. Todd, what you got? Nice. We got a fourteen hundred. Got, got it. We got a tie. We got a Todd has tied Zach now. And all right, what is Dignum? What's Dignum's theory on the feds? All right, we're going to go five, four, three, two, and one. We're going to start with Zach first on this one. Okay, Zach, go ahead. Like mushrooms, leave them in the dark, feed them shit.
2: (laughs) That's a correct point. Todd, what do you got? I didn't write anything down. That's not a
0: theory. (laughs) No, he (laughs) clearly says. I have no idea what you were talking about, honestly.
3: But I mean, I remember that line, but that's not a theory. No, he said. Uh, it's like the federal uh, theory on the feds is that treat him like mushrooms. And yeah, that's, he says theory. Anyway, Terry, what do you got? I just, I just wrote like uh, mushrooms, like mushrooms. I'll accept it. Sit, Terry is tied with Todd right now. This is a dumb question. I got to say this is, This next one's a dumb question. I don't know why I put it. What is Madeline's address for her, her, uh, her office? The, the, I have the whole address, the number and street too. They show it on a business card really quick. Uh-oh. Oh, okay, man. well then I
2: on. I have her no, office, no. Yeah, I thought this was stupid. <laughs> her office number is 304. Can I get a half point for that? I know it's 304. They showed
3: that. What do you guys think? Is that is that point worth half a point worthy? That's worth half yeah, a, a point. point. Okay. I have knocked the tower,
1: tower, tower down. down.
3: Mm. <laughs> all right, there we go. No, wrong <laughs> wrong city sense. I think. <laughs> wrong coast. All right. All right, next question here guys. On Colin and Madeline's date what dish did Colin say the restaurant didn't get when comparing it to their dessert? All right. So I forgot to give you guys the answer for the Madeline's question first. We'll give you that real fast. It's 100 Ashburton Place, Boston, Massachusetts, 02108. Okay. Somebody Back paused to... their DVD. I did. And it froze my PlayStation. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> On um, on Collins and Madeline State, the dish that he, Colin said they did not get was Doc... Oh, crap! What uh, Terry? What do you have? I <laughs> almost gave I, the I got away. nothing. I got nothing. Terry, or Zach. Uh, okay. Yep. Doc Laurent. Laurent. Yep. That's the correct answer. Todd, what do you got? I wrote lobster or fish. Something. I remember. He had remember lobster. The... He remembers yeah. lobster, but he he clearly I will give him a half a point because he did mention lobster. He, but he ate said, lobster. That was he said Oh, they get this, but they don't get duckler orange. And yeah, the lobster was fine. Because yeah,
2: okay, going I get that have
3: thing that he said if it moves, I'm gonna shoot it. Yeah, exactly. That, that. All right, next question. What was the name of the shop? The two guys from Providence. Where did their suits come from? The two guys from Providence. The two yeah. that the, 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 their suits came from Cossigan had these two guys killed in the movie. Five, four, three, two, and one. Terry. We're going Providence Suit Shop. Providence Suit Shop. Okay. That's close. Not- I know it's close,
1: <laughs> but I know it's not right. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah, same thing. In- I don't know. Taylor pa- Shop. Tappas? Todd. No. Tappas, <laughs> no.
1: It had Providence in the name.
3: Yeah. It- it- it's The answer is Providence Men's Shop. Oh. as you
1: said something like my detective skills are telling me these boys are from providence yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> what drug slash pill did billy take and with what what drink did he take it with two points for this question all right we're good five four three two and one let's we'll start with zach because terry's having a headache right i now. got nothing oxy and red bull Oxy and Re- West well, one point. Oxy Cotton was right. Oh, Todd, that's right. Got? Oxy and Sprite. Mm. Oxy and Sprite is yeah. the correct answer. Yes, we got a close game here, boys. We got a close game. Here we go. Let's talk about some college. Oh, Terry didn't, what didn't have, does- have an answer. No, oh, I didn't have didn't an answer. Have an answer. Oh. What does Quinn and Son? Where does Quinn and Son go to college? We'll start with Terry. A boy
1: studies law at Notre Dame.
3: Notre Dame, that's a point right there. He Zach. doesn't study law.
2: That's what, that's he, what said. he says.
3: He says, study law. Where's
2: your boy? He studies law at Notre Dame. I think he says he goes to Notre Dame. I don't no, know he says, says he says he studies, studies law. law. No, whatever. His name's Patrick, by the way. I should get a half point for that. <laughs>
1: well, okay. No, he, tell, he tells Billy that he goes to Notre Dame, but he tells Co- uh, Costello's guys before he kills him, before they kill him, that he studies law at Notre Dame.
2: Yeah, he does say that. That's what I said. Law school, Notre Dame. It was. You're saying it's a different scene. He says that.
0: Yeah. It's not. A, it's yeah. When he dies. When he he
2: dies. It. They all come in and say,
1: "Where's your boy?" Looking for looking for oh. Billy. And he says he studies okay. law at Notre
2: Dame. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I I get it now because you didn't say that in the, in the scene that Adam was alluding to.
3: No, no, no.
0: Jack no. should lose a half point for that. No, I. Pff.
3: Probably. <laughs> that's ridiculous. a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> all right. Two more questions left, guys, and we are. First and last place is divided by just two points, guys. Two points. What was the address that Del Hunt gave Billy when they were going to get the rat? Terry, what you got? All
1: right. I, I just have the number. I think the number 413.
3: Ooh, that is incorrect.
1: Oh, right. I was close.
3: We'll Zach, just, what do you got? I knew we'll, it started
1: with an S, though. A little
2: dyslexic, I think. 314 wash. Three, oh, four, ooh, that is incorrect. Oh, really?
3: Todd what did he what was it 314 Washington is what I wrote 314 Washington is the what? correct answer
2: you're gonna you're gonna
3: really not give me any <laughs> He gets a, for half that. a
1: point for that he gets a half a point
3: for that. okay I'll give him a half a point so you, okay there we go I'll give him a hat okay cool 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 last question the 2006 Oscars the departed had five Oscar nominations and walked away with four wins who are the other four movies to walk away with multiple Oscar wins? A couple more seconds.
1: There were how many more you said? Four?
3: There are four movies that received um, multiple Oscar wins. All right. We'll go back to Okay. Are we ready? Five, four, three, two, and one. We'll go with Todd first on this one. Todd, what do you got? I got Little Miss Sunshine, Dream
0: Girl, Pan's Labyrinth, and The Queen. Three points for Todd.
1: Damn it. Which one was wrong? I I'm sure. The queen. Which means oh, I, I yeah, got two I points. See. I've got the Queen, Little Miss Sunshine and Dream Girls. OK,
3: you got two points. All right. Zach. I'm not for sure? The Queen need... would have won makeup or
1: something.
0: I thought it won score. I know it
3: was pan slapper, but never mind. Zach, to I win this, makeup. you need three to win.
2: I had the exact same four
3: as Todd. So almost sunshine. Pan's Labyrinth, <laughs> the, queen, the Queen, and Dreamgirls. Dream so, Zach oh, does yeah. win.
0: Zach wins by...
3: Boston. Zach wins by a half a point. <laughs> <laughs> half point you got for you you
0: shouldn't have... <laughs> so,
3: so, the other movie that won multiple awards at that Oscars with two wins was An Inconvenient Truth. Best song uh, and best no, documentary. Won the song. Well, it's yeah, best song and best uh, documentary. And that was an inconvenient win for Zach. No, I don't know. I don't know. That was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Go your well, what one makeup that year? I thought. Been I, thought I, problems, I, got, I got it right Nordic. here. I got Nordic. It. Nordic. it. Didn't know uh, that. No, Pants Labyrinth won. Pants oh. Labyrinth beat Apocalypto and Click. So Pants Labyrinth, uh, Labyrinth won, like. Art direction,
0: cinematography, and makeup.
1: <laughs> but not foreign film, thanks to *Lives of Others*. Didn't yeah. Norbit yeah. get nominated for something?
3: Yeah. No, yeah, it yeah, went for it a got, different um, year.
1: Oh, a different year, yeah.
3: Different year. All right. Um, okay, that's what I got. That's trivia, guys. Hopefully, I did better.
1: Uh, that was tricky. that was well done. <laughs> that was done. fun. All well done. That was good. That was good. All right. Well, let's let's talk about *The Departed* a little bit here. Since I picked it, I guess I'll start. Even though I think I finished in last place in our trivia game, but um. So yeah, I picked this movie because I, I I felt like we needed to talk about it. Like I said, and we need to talk about another Best Picture leading up to the Oscars. And uh, this was like, I, I feel like was just like a touchstone for all of us in our, in our movie watching. I feel like I, w- I was thinking about this. I think this was the first movie I can remember where I kept on getting updates of the pre-production and like updates of the casting. It's like, okay, Scorsese's new movie. It's going to have Leo and Matt Damon and Mark Wahlberg and Jack Nicholson and and Martin Sheen and Alec Baldwin. And, and it just kept going. I'm like, wait, this movie's going to be awesome. Like this was like the most hyped movie I've ever had. And I think it may have spoiled every other movie that had a star-studded cast that's happened since because every other movie since is disappointed compared to The Departed because The Departed really... Hit a home run in having the star-studded cast, and and it's because Scorsese was the one front in the whole thing. And um, I, I remember I remember vividly. Zach and I went and watched this movie. And I think we've talked about it before on the podcast, but we we had to travel a little ways to go to a theater that we, neither of us have ever been to since, and <laughs> and had never been to before because it was the only one in town showing it. And uh, and it was it was just this amazing amazing movie going experience and it you knew immediately after watching it this is a masterpiece and uh and it's the one that got it's the one that got uh marty's oscars so uh so i it's it's one of the one of the greatest movies like uh, of that decade for sure um even though i don't even think i have it number one of that year but uh unbelievable Well, hey, I mean, it's it's hard to. Tough year though. Yeah, United ninety three is my number one. I mean, that that movie was just ridiculous. But but Departed is is right behind it. So yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome movie. And like I said, it was such a hyped movie, and it didn't disappoint. It didn't disappoint at all. So Zach, you were on me on that, or you were with me on that trip. You talk about uh, you talk about it.
2: I'll do you one better, Terry. The date was October 7th, 2006. <laughs> yeah. It was opening the- night, right? Uh, well, no, no. It was a, it was a, a Saturday? Saturday. It we was a Saturday. It, like Saturday midday. And then when we came home, uh, the Detroit uh, Tigers uh, eliminated the Yankees from the playoffs. So it was just all in all a <laughs> great day. Uh, we also had some Nathan's hot dogs that day, too, which were pretty fabulous. Pony uh, yeah. Island. Exactly. Hawthorne exactly. Street. Exactly. Yeah. It was somewhere in Hawthorne Street. I don't even know if that theater is still probably not open anymore. But uh, yeah, my, my memories of, I mean, I remember seeing when the trailer dropped. Uh, I, I remember thinking, oh, this is like another chance for Marty to get his Oscar. It doesn't look quite as glamorous or as polished as Gangs of New York or The Aviator. So it might not get that Oscar buzz. It did. It also had the kind of relatively early release date of early October. But it obviously was, you know, the, the crowning achievement of Marty's later career. And again, fully redeemed Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, for me, he had been redeemed uh, with The Aviator. but uh, And when it won, I mean, Terry, did we watch the Oscars together that year? Because I remember watching it in East Hall that year. And uh, I, I jumped up and down just like Marty said his daughter should do after uh, he won Best Director. And uh, it was like genuinely the the greatest moment I've ever had watching the Oscars. In the we may 20, have watched 20, that together. 25 years of watching the Oscars. It's It's the number one moment for me is Marty winning and then it winning best picture, Jack and Diane announcing it classic cannot be topped.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I I will say it's been a while since I've seen the whole thing start to finish and I watched it this week and you forget just how good this movie is too. Like it is just a great, great movie. It's got everything you need for, for just having that, that great movie watching experience. I mean, it, it is just so damn entertaining from start to finish and then you've got the twists and turns of the story you've got you've got the shocking moments you've got the drama you've got the comedy it it's just it's it's just great
2: yeah one more side note i'd want to add is everybody knew i was a huge fan of it and the DVD like came out the week of my birthday in 2007, and so I got three copies of the DVD. <laughs> now I don't have any of them anymore, sadly, because actually the DVD had a really cool feature on it called Scorsese on Scorsese that did not transfer to the Blu-ray. So I'm kind of upset that I've lost them over the years. But uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. I How just did you I lost them. It? I got rid of. I'm trying to. I'm trying to consolidate. I don't need my DVDs. Of course, that was the one DVD I should have kept, but. The Scorsese and Scorsese feature is really good. He talks about all of his movies and uh, he even talks about his American Express uh, commercial that he made. I think they have that in book form.
1: It's right. It's right back here. Mine's right, right on that shelf, right there.
2: Value that DVD, Terry. Don't get rid of it. It, They didn't, (laughs) they didn't transfer that over to the Blu-ray inexplicably.
1: All right. Well, uh, well, Todd, how about you? Your experience with the departed?
0: Yeah, it, uh, 2006 was a very important year in film for me like i I remember watching that uh after i got off school at uh at tacoma community college one day at a theater that is since deceased like shortly after it like no longer existed at the amc university place yeah it's departed now and uh i it was one of the first movies i really just like blew me back to a point that i i didn't know what to do with myself like i mean i love scorsese up to that point but this is what cemented him as being like my favorite director of all time and it was i've only seen it i think i'd seen it twice all the way through before this week like i mean i've seen parts of it a lot because it's always on and i see i always end up seeing around the same parts but like the beginning and the end i feel like i've only seen like twice and so it, it was interesting to go back and, and like and like sit through and absorb the entire thing again and uh yeah, it's what it's, it's, I love what I love about the movie is it, it all of these side characters you know everything about. You every character is so fully fleshed out and it, and it and it moves really quick and it doesn't need you know four hours of a miniseries to make you know who like Berrigan is and like and like uh the Alec Baldwin character. Like, I, I, I love, I love the how thick the movie is and how dense it is at, at, at over two and a half hours. Hmm.
1: Well, and even like a like a guy like James Badgedale as as Berrigan, you you look at it now and you go, Hey, that guy actually is a guy now. And he was he was a nothing then. He was just an uh, an upstart. And it was a couple years later he was in the Pacific and then, we'll then with
0: Anthony Anderson too.
1: Yeah, yeah. And but well, Anthony Anderson was a little bit of a known commodity at the time. Like you okay. at least recognized his face.
2: Hangry oh, Jack, man. baby. One of the great underrated movies. Two <laughs> thousands.
1: And, and now James Badgedale, I mean, he, he's made his MCU appearance, so everyone everyone recognizes that face. All right, Adam, I think that you're the one that has us the highest on their all-time list. So uh, tell us what you love about The Departed.
3: Yeah, for me, I did not see it in 2006, actually. Um, so I saw this probably obviously a lot later, and I think that goes into a conspiracy theory about what happened last week. But anyway, um, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but anyway, for me, The Departed. There was a time in kind of that era, I think, like the year before 2005, when I I got I went to on a, like a mission trip to Mexico, right? And I got I got sick, and I so when I came back, I got sick, like a couple weeks afterward, and um, had some fire. So all I did had to do was get cooped up on the couch. That's really where my love for film kind of happened because all I did was watch special features of movies that I had on DVD, and one of them was Apollo 13, and really loved that film as well, and I really. I uh, made Tom Hanks one of my favorite actors around uh, in that time and one of my favorite films as well. And then also the empire strikes back. And up to that point, I didn't actually like the empire strikes back too much. And um, eventually I started building my movie collection. when 2006 happened, when this film came out, I actually took a, like, like kind of trip out with to Hawaii with my friend and we had an option to go see a film and we inevitably cho- chose the prestige that we watched the prestige <laughs> around that time. Oh, instead. <laughs> But also knowing with that fact is that we were the family that I was going to Vivid with, memories of, really, of
1: watching the prestige as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but and for I, different I of,
3: yeah. I liked the prestige uh, when I watched it the first time, but now that I've matured, it's not really a great movie. But anyway, uh, the reason why we went to see that film is because the R rating for, uh, and knowing for how much uh, language was in the movie and being kind of a mob and violence and stuff like that. The, uh, the family I went with one of my good friends in high school Basically, we were super over kind of over religious uh, protective and they didn't want us to watch it. So uh, eventually he actually my friend actually did watch it. And he said there was so much language. It was so bad. It was it was it was not a great movie. It just made me want to watch it. But I I couldn't watch it until I moved out. So when I moved out of my parents' house when I was 18, that was one of the first movies I bought for myself was The Departed. And I absolutely fell in love with it uh, ever since. It was one of those experiences I was like, Man, there's just so many things going in that direction. I absolutely love like Jack Nicholson, Matt Damon, and Leonardo DiCaprio. It's just to name three re- big reasons why I really liked that movie because it was some of my favorite actors. But going into some of the mob and the the dirty cops and like the, the way that he Scorsese was able to tell the story has as over submitted itself as one of my favorites over and over again. I can actually have a hard time sometimes re watching movies because sometimes I'll watch a movie and be really high on it but then i rewatch it and kind of either my opinion goes down or maybe improves sometimes but i didn't the departed was one of those movies i can just watch over and over again and pick up little things each and every time that was a little different and get more out of it and it just has slowly crept up as my favorite film of all time and uh, when I, i remember when i want i met todd for the first time we were working at fedex and um I, I told this question i've said this before it's like todd you know he's kind of a reserved guy and until you get to know him and he asked me one question because it was on the oscars and todd asked hey what's your favorite movie and i said the departed and then him and i have been friends ever since and i feel like if i would have said a bad movie he probably would, i probably wouldn't be a member of almost sideways i probably wouldn't uh, uh be as involved in movies as i was and uh, I'm, i'm i'm the Departed has obviously built a friendship with Todd, and it's just one, um and also our love for movies as well. So The Departed means a lot to me, and it's one of those movies that I can watch over and over again. Even this time watching it, I picked up a little bit more things that I didn't actually quite realize before, too. So it's just a movie that always it keeps giving back to uh, to me as a movie fan. So The Departed, my favorite film, I'm not afraid to say that. So it hasn't changed, even though my other list has changed, changed quite a bit. So.
1: Yes, yes, The Departed, starring the sixty-nine-year-old Jack Nicholson at the time. Yes.
3: Okay, okay, I'll tell you my conspiracy theory later. I, I can't <laughs> give it away now, and I- I- I'll tell you why I messed up that. Okay, all right. Well, anyway, um, looking at
1: like the Oscars that year, uh, in one Best Picture, in one Director, at one Screenplay, in one Editing, it- it's it's weird to think though that it only was nominated for five Oscars. I mean that that's kind of, and it went four for five. And the only acting Oscar it was nominated for was Mark Wahlberg, which is crazy to think about considering like, I remember that Oscar race. Leo was one of the top ones to get a nomination the whole time. Nicholson was a favorite to get a nomination or maybe even win. He was never a favorite to win. He wasn't, yeah, it it was always going to be Eddie Murphy until he got until he didn't win. But, um, but Nicholson was going to get a nomination. Leo was going to get a nomination. Then Leo got the nomination for Blood Diamond. And Wahlberg got in over Jack Nicholson. But five nominations. That's just crazy that you had that. Then it went four for five. And it won all the important ones. I mean, picture, director, screenplay, editing. That's really all you need to win an Oscar. But um, but yeah, it's just crazy to think that five nominees for, for The Departed. Right, Todd? The Departed. Yeah. <laughs> So that's know. an that's another thing with Todd but Todd and I always joke about 2000 the 2007 Golden Globes Double. um the, Bobby
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Arnold
1: Schwarzenegger was reading uh, or gave the winner of best picture drama and so we always we always joke the debated Bobble, bobby the queen!
0: <laughs> little children.
1: Little children! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the winner is The Departed.
0: No, it was Babel. <laughs>
1: oh, it was Babble. Babble. It, it, it right. won,
0: and it's uh, the only one thing it won that night <laughs> it was the <Best> picture. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Well, yeah, it, it was an interesting Oscar race. Yeah, well, Zach, go
2: for it. The thing you're forgetting, Terry, is, I mean, I don't, Todd, I don't know how much you were paying attention to the Oscars at this point, but the big the big news that morning when they announced the Oscar nominees that year was that Dreamgirls wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Yes. Had, had Dreamgirls been nominated, I think it would have been the clear odds-on favorite to win Best Picture.
0: It still and, would have been little, little Miss Sunshine. Like, that one, the Producers Guild and the Writers well, Guild eventually, and the Screen Actors Guild. Like, I think... Yeah. Eventually,
2: I, I went into that Oscar night thinking it was either going to be The Departed or Little Miss Sunshine. I thought Little Miss Sunshine had a real strong chance. Marty was always going to win. I mean, come on. When you bring out Spielberg, George Lucas, and Francis Ford Coppola, yeah. I'm pretty sure we know who's going to win. All right. Like when Parvis Streisand gave the award to Captain Bigelow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> I mean, this is when you just know the Oscars are rigged. I mean, there's just no way that – that Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, um, I think things kind of fell in a weird way. Yeah, it was kind of one of those years actually kind of looking back on it. It's sort of interesting seeing just the power of like those best director nominees. I mean, you got Eastwood, you got too before he was, you know, a, a multiple Oscar winner. You had, you had Paul Greengrass and Stephen Fears like that was a powerhouse uh, best director, um, at least the cast of characters
1: yeah, well, and I remember as as the broadcast went along, you knew by the time you got to Best Picture, it's like, yeah,
2: this is the departed. Like, it, oh, I, I don't know about that. I thought I still thought Loomis Sunshine had a real shot of winning, even to the last last minute. Now, of course, who reads the best Picture, but Jack Nicholson. Now, that's strange. <laughs> I can't think of another year where uh, like any award was given out by the person in that movie except for, in 1980, when Timothy Hutton won Best Supporting Actor, uh, his name was randomly read by Mary Tyler Moore, who, of course, was in Ordinary People with him. I can't think of any other time where that's oh. happened. Where like oh, they do that the a lot now, short. but not for the major the big short, categories. Yeah.
3: Big Short had that happen, I think.
2: Well, I'm talking. I guess I'm talking in the major categories. I, the, major categories. Te- yeah. Technical awards. Yeah, I'm sure that's happened. But like Best Picture, I can't think of another actor that read the name of their movie. that Well, won Jack best picture. did
0: the Best Picture like every year. It seemed like.
2: Well, he did crash yeah, for the year a while before. there yeah yeah he didn't he didn't do it every year but yeah and it was it was a bald jack nicholson too he was who comes the bucket list right filming the bucket list right yeah parlay your martin scorsese movie to the bucket list
1: i i think i think the 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 best part of that of that uh announcement though was uh an obviously intoxicated diane keaton standing next to him going Oh, The Departed! Wow. Well, Babel is in this category. What? Okay. Well, conspiracy theory,
2: Terry. I always thought Diane Keaton was drunk, but if you've ever watched her on TV, I think that's just how she acts. So oh, I don't actually be. know if she was drunk. <laughs> I always thought she was drunk. But I agree. It's it's definitely some amb- ambiguous ambiguous territory.
1: Like she was listening to the to the nominees as if she had never
2: heard of the films before. She mispronounced some of them too. She's like John Carrot, I think. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, and Steve Golan. Uh, I've watched that clip too many times. Uh, and the Queen, she did like little, you know, palms on her chest. The Queen.
1: That one also had my one of my favorite all time Oscar moments, which was uh, Jack Black and Will Ferrell doing uh presenting best original song i think is what it was when they sang their uh their song about being a comedian at the oscars and how the oscars hate them and then john c Riley gets up and and talks about how he was in both boogie and talladega nights it was it was it's yeah it's so good Uh, all right. Well, let's get into our, our next part here, which is um, our Mount Rushmore for the day. Where we are going to look at the greatest Boston movies of all time. And uh, and so we're, we're doing we're doing a five man Mount Rushmore for this one so that we can say the departed is the non-negotiable. It's up there. It, it's it's the it's uh, the 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 fifth part. It's the William Howard Taft. Of Mount Rushmore, but really it's the, it's, it should be like the George Washington. Anyways, it doesn't matter. It's the non negotiable. Howard Taft. Yeah. Where did we
2: get that from?
1: Well, that, when there's a fifth one, it's Taft. That's what we say because he's news? in the nationals, the nationals' precedence race. Whatever. Okay. You missed that yeah. conversation. You weren't yeah. on the call yet. You were late. Okay. Anyways. um we did Taft this for bad.
0: alcoholics. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mount yeah.
1: yeah, that's right. We did it then, then too. Okay. So, uh, we are each going to pick our selection to go on to Mount Rushmore uh, alongside The Departed because The Departed is up there already so we're going to have four more to join it and uh, we're going to go to Adam first. Adam. Oh.
3: My goodness. Okay, so there is another film that I feel like could have been our non-negotiable and do I just take it or yeah. have somebody else take it? Do it. Just take do it. Do it. it. How
2: about
3: Ten. them apples? Oh, no! no I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Really? It's Goodwill Hunting. Oh, okay. How about them apples? Hey, let's give you some props yeah. for that. It's a ballsy thing. No. no. <laughs> I thought he was going fever pitch. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking fever pitch too. I have I have a couple of films wrote down. Uh, we can talk about those later. But yeah, I think Goodwill Hunting is the other one that is the one of the be- best uh, Boston movies, and uh, obviously another Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, great Oscar moment as as well. I uh, Goodwill Hunting is definitely one of those movies that are my top, you know, 20 films of all time as well. It's just, it's a great little film. I, I actually watched that Robin Williams monologue with him, at, him and Matt Damon at the park about talking about love and um, when business hours don't apply to you. And just that scene just wrecks me every time. I, I love what Robin Williams was able to do in this that movie. And when I'm thinking Boston movies, I'm, I'm obviously thinking The Departed. I'm thinking uh, Goodwill Hunting and maybe Fever Pitch too. But Goodwill Hunting is my, uh, it's a deserves to be on this Mount Rushmore, of five. So.
1: All right. All right. Uh, Let's go Zach next.
2: Yeah. It's kind of hard to imagine like that monologue about the, you know, Carl Yostremsky in like uh, another city. Like what would they talk about? Like, oh, this Kansas city moment. Oh, the pine tar incident. You remember that? I wasn't there. (laughs) I was meeting my future wife. Yeah. it, It doesn't really work in another city. Uh, good call, uh, Adams, and, and you're real mensch for taking taking that uh, for us, so we don't have to hear Todd talk about it. Okay, uh, let's go with uh, my pick, which is the verdict. Paul Newman. Paul Newman's Ooh. greatest movie. Sidney Lumet. It's not uh, it's not an obvious Boston movie, but it is very much about you know the influence of the Catholic Church. You got James Mason there. You got Charlotte Rampling. You got Todd's number one supporting actress of all time, who I actually don't even really remember from the movie, but apparently he made she made an impact on him. And uh, yeah, it's the Irish diocese. It's uh, you know uh, Paul Newman's got the greatest alcoholic drink of all time when he cracks the egg in it and plays pinball. I mean, what more could you ask for? It's a great movie. It's a perfect movie. It's the penultimate Boston movie, and it doesn't need an animatronic CGI teddy bear. Yes.
1: Good call. Yes. All right, I think I'm gonna go next. We're gonna leave Todd for last. Um, and I'm sorry, Paul Newman's best movie? Is that
0: really what you said? Oh yeah. What
2: what? A what hustler.
0: What, oh well, okay. Yeah, I, the Hustler, that, that, The Sting, Butch Cassidy. I mean, he's got a long list of great movies. <laughs>
2: that's that's fair. Those are all fair picks. But for me, it's always been the verdict. Always will okay. be the verdict. All right. Uh, okay, so I'm
1: kind of torn of with should I go with the best movie set in Boston or the next movie I think of most when I think of a Boston movie? Um, I'm gonna go with the best movie set in Boston that's on my list, and that's gonna be Gone Baby Gone. Um, I think Dennis Lehane tends to write pretty. He he tends to base a lot of his stuff in Boston, and Gone Baby Gone is definitely one of those um and uh as as most dennis Lehane novels go he's got an amazing twist ending there so uh um and and you've got an affleck in it so you know it's you know it's uh it's some quality boston stuff there so i'm going gone baby gone
3: directed by an affleck too
1: it's directed mm-hmm. by an affleck as well so so you know it's good um, I can't go with JFK,
0: can I, Ryan? Uh, it complicates things now a lot. Like I can't, I can't go with the one I was going to go with now, or either. Like to have two that I can't go with now because one same director, one same book writer.
1: Yeah, I know, I know, I know which two you're looking at. Obviously, you're looking Miss at the River town and the Mystic town. River. Yeah, the town so, was I mean, the other I- one I was thinking of because the town is another one I think of when I think Boston. Okay, like,
0: yeah, if right I think Boston
1: movie, too. I think that, I think the town is up there but i i think gone baby gone a better movie
0: so it leaves two on my list that nobody's mentioned one of which we've t- we talked about at one point on the podcast so i'll go with the other one so i guess i'm forced to go with the fighter uh, uh Peter yeah. russell's movie uh and uh yeah it was uh, a great movie and Mark Wahlberg's second Oscar nomination for producing that movie. He pretty much got it made from the start. And uh it's a it's a great movie with a lot of supporting characters that just feel very like Boston, very South Boston. I especially his sisters and yeah, it, it's a it's a really good movie. I haven't seen it in quite a while, but I, I know that, that that is like that that just feels like as inner Boston as it gets. One of
1: the his sisters is about, literally Conan O'Brien's sister. That I did not know. <laughs> you didn't know that? Yeah, one of his sisters is played by Conan O'Brien's sister.
0: I was also thinking about what doesn't kill you, but Terry reviewed that not too long ago, so
1: Oh yeah, that's, that's a good one too. I had two other ones written down. That was Spotlight and Manchester by the Sea.
0: Well, isn't that not isn't that in Manchester by the sea? That's the name of the city.
1: Well, but that's Boston. Spotlight though, that's Boston. Yeah. 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 All right. So uh, maybe Gone Baby Gone was the perfect choice then because it got it got a Ben Affleck directed Dennis Lehane and it was able to pick put the town. If you put the town of Mystic River together, you get Gone Baby Gone. OK. Starring Casey Affleck, who won an Oscar for Manchester by the Sea. See, it just kind of wraps it all together.
3: All right, and, and then in the town you had the Red Sox, which also incorporates Ted and Fever Pitch as, well, as well.
1: Yeah, we don't like really park. care as much about those ones, so. Yeah, I know, but I was trying.
3: To, I was trying to incorporate a little bit more.
1: <laughs> All right, so our Mount Rushmore of Boston movies: we got The Departed, we've got Goodwill Hunting, The Verdict, Gone Baby Gone, and The Fighter.
2: Really Pretty disappointed solid. we didn't get Celtic Pride on here that's true on
1: that Uh, nothing said nothing says boston quite like damon wayans and
2: dan daniel and daniel
1: stern Stern, yeah and the utah jazz (laughs) 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 all right uh let's get into now our recasting which is going to be interesting uh we it's always interesting to recast some of the more recent ones and then this one is so perfectly cast that it, it's it's really hard to it's really hard to look at um, to look at this so um, I think what we're going to do to try and streamline this a little bit is we're just going to go uh, we are all recasting six characters uh, Costigan played by Leo Sullivan which was Matt Damon Costello which was Jack Nicholson Dignum which was the Oscar nominated performance by Mark Wahlberg I'll say that as many times as I need to Queenan, who was uh, played by Martin Sheen, who was on my list of worst performances in a masterpiece of a movie. Um, and <laughs> and Madeline, played by Vera Farmiga. We're all recasting those, and I think we're just going to go uh, person by person, and we're going to go with our whole cast. And uh, and if you have any others besides that you want to add on, uh, you can. So let, let, let's, let's just do it that way. So... Uh, Todd, I made you wait till the end and kind of screwed you over for the Mount Rushmore. So I'll let you go first in in recasting The Departed.
0: Okay, well The Departed is already infinite budget casting. Like, there's no... Right, like, yeah, there's, there's no replacing Leo and Matt Damon and Jack Nicholson. So I have... Um, and plus they're like 10 years too old, all of them for what characters they are playing. So I went with like a more scaled back cast, like if this was like a Catherine Bigelow movie or something, and actors that are actually appropriate for their age. So my cost again... I'm going with Barry Keegan, who is, uh, you probably know him from, um, that, wow, what was that movie, that Yorgos Lanthimos movie, The Killing of Sacred Deer, and he was also in, uh, but nominated for BAFTA this year for Calm With Horses. Wasn't he in he,
1: Dunkirk also?
0: That scene, yeah, that sounds right, but yeah, he's, uh he has the, uh, the intensity in his face that uh, i could see being the leo type character but if you're just making it just a normal movie it'd be joseph gordon levitt in that role my sullivan I'm, i went with ezra miller uh because yeah you need to be a little slimy uh to be sullivan uh but if you're making it just normal oh you're an idiot zach uh is uh andrew garfield that would that, be another easy but if you're doing it that way uh, my Costello, I couldn't choose, so I wrote down Brian Cox and Brendan Gleeson. Uh, my Dignum I have is Kieran Culkin. And with that, I, I don't feel great about that, but there's also, like, a universe where I want that character to be like Brian Tyree Henry. So, I don't know. <laughs> One of those two. My Queen Anne is John Hawks, and my Madeline is Carrie Mulligan.
1: All right. All right. Uh, let's go
3: Adam next. You had, you had a thought there, Zach?
2: Oh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing just fine,
3: Adam. Okay. You're good. Okay. I thought you raised your hand. So anyway, go ahead. All right. My, okay. This is interesting. This movie has already been remade. This is the part is this, the re- remade of the eternal affairs movie. So this should be a little different infernal oh, affairs, infernal, infernal, infernal affair. affairs. Okay. So the Departed was is already been made was a remake of the infernal affairs from 2002 but so I want to change up the cast a little bit too. So my Billy Costigan, I got Jonathan Majors going to be in there. Mm. He was uh, known for Love uh, Lovecraft County or country or Count, I don't know, I haven't seen the show but I heard he's really good in it. Anyway, <laughs> country. and uh, country, yeah. And he's going to be the villain um in the new Ant-Man movie. So he's a really good actor there so I think and that would be Son really of the co- five Yeah,
0: and the 75 yeah, Bloods. Yeah, probably could yes. be an Irish mole. Definitely.
3: Well, no, it would not be in I in Boston. It would not be in Boston. Okay. I'm thinking California, like LA. Anyway. It's gonna be in uh, California. Cali- yeah. It's in California. California. He's California. <laughs> uh my Colin Sullivan, I actually went with Yahweh Abdul Mateen the second uh, from, uh, you know, obviously he's been in the trial of the Chicago seven and a bunch of other little smaller pods. I think that would be kind of a, he's a good looking guy that can kind of weasel his way into different things too. And I think he would uh, be a good little foe for Jonathan majors in here. My Costello is going to be Denzel Washington. Cause he's roughly around the same age as Jackie was 66 now, or, or my other, my alternative was Vincent D'Onofrio. If you've seen the daredevil Netflix show, I think he would be a, a pretty menacing, um, uh, villain in that film. I like my Digno- better.
1: that's like, that's like American gangster level stuff right there. So yeah. That, that's yeah, awesome. exactly.
3: Uh, my, my Mr. French actually could have been, you could switch the characters a little bit. Cause I, I, I had Terrence Howard. If you we were trying to go someone a little bit, uh, but, but you can also put Mr. French as John David Washington and be where it's actually, you oh. want him to be his, you don't know, he doesn't want anybody to know that's actually his son, but it's actually, he's like, his his big goon. But anyway, uh, my Dignum, I, I don't know why I had this, but he, it's not my choice, but I had Bill Burr in my head the whole entire time as the fast talking, uh, because I could just see a lot of, uh, Bill Burr talking of, uh, Digman's lines for whatever reason, but, but that's because he's from Boston, Boston. <laughs> that's why I saw it. But I, so I, I didn't put, I didn't write that. I had Sebastian Stan, uh, as that character, um, I don't know. I don't think it works that Mike. I wasn't really impressed with my Dignum because I also I, th- I thought Riz Ahmed could have probably done it, but then I, and then I was like, no, nah, that that wouldn't work. I just want to put Riz Ahmed in my movie. That's all. Uh, my Queenan, I had um, a choice between uh, David Hyde Pierce, Gary Sinise, or my the one I really like, Rick Moranis. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't you do need movies it. anymore though. Yeah, I know, but you need retired. somebody who's like kind of like. This super, like, you don't think anything's wrong with him. That's why they, they even make a line about why are we following Martin Sheen's character? Why are we following Queenan? Because he's a Boy Scout. It makes sense. And he's also 5'7, so you want to make it believable these bunch of guys just overwhelm him, too. So that's what exactly, he, Rick Smaran is like 5'6. So anyway, and then my uh, my Madeline was Anaday Armas or Vanessa Kirby. So that's what I had for my choice.
2: All right. All right. Zach. <laughs> Okay, yeah. so uh, I decided that you know one of the worst things upon rewatching the, the Departed is some of these actors have pretty bad Boston accents. The only two that really get it right are Mark Wahlberg and Matt Damon because they're from the Boston area. So I did an all-Boston recasting of this movie. The actors had to be from Boston. Or at least the Boston area. Now I'm noticing on my list I actually violated that rule with two of my actors, but never mind. Okay, we're gonna go all of them with, but a third of them. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna start with uh, Billy Costigan, and I ha- I recast him as Ted, voiced by Seth MacFarlane, originally from Kent, Connecticut. For my role of Colin, I went with Eric Sullivan, who was the younger brother Dewey on Malcolm in the Middle. Apparently, he's from Worcester, Massachusetts. And the reason I went with that is you could CGI some of that footage from Malcolm in the Middle as young (laughs) Colin at the booth, you know, getting the milk and the meats and whatever. Uh, Not beer, though, Todd. I don't think he got any beer. Uh, In the paper bag. In the paper bag, of course. Uh, For my Costello... Uh, This is where I cheated a little bit. I went with Bill Belichick, who's originally from Nashville, but, um, you know, he's obviously a legend in the Boston area. For my Frenchie, I went with Penn Gillette of Penn & Teller, who's from Greenfield, Massachusetts. Ellerbe, this was the most obvious one for me. I went with Bill Burr from Canton, Massachusetts. Uh, Gwen, who is Costello's girlfriend. I went with Senator Elizabeth Warren, who's actually from Oklahoma City, but... You know, Boston, you know, Massachusetts. Uh, for Madeline, I went with Olympic gold medalist Ali Reisman, who is from Needham, Massachusetts. For my Dingham, I went with John Cena from West Newberry because he looks like he ate Matt uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg. And um, I had it directed by Rob Zombie, who's from Haverhill, Massachusetts.
3: Mine's looking okay now. Okay,
2: okay, good. <laughs> I should have gone with you
1: last. Um. <laughs> That uh, that was, that that was something right there. Okay, all right. So from I really like my recasting. So I'm uh, I decided that to recast this. I mean we've it it started as a, wasn't it wasn't it was Korean right? Infernal Affairs was a Korean movie, right? Todd? No, I think, or was no, it, I think it was from Hong Kong. Yeah, I think Hong Kong? Okay, Hong Kong. Yeah. So it started in Hong Kong, then we we transferred it to America and and set it in Boston. So I'm saying for the remake of the Departed, we are going to move it across the pond. It's going to be written and directed by Guy Ritchie, and uh, and be set in in uh, in London. And so I have an all British cast. Yes. Uh, to to make To make a I Guy Ritchie Departed. What?
0: <laughs> I kind of did too. I think I a had little like bit,
1: not quite all like I did. Irish
0: though. or British? Yeah.
1: All right. So I've got uh, my Billy Costigan is Robert Pattinson. Uh, My Sullivan is uh, is Richard Madden.
3: Okay. Uh, my
1: my Costello is Gary Oldman. Uh, Getting back to his his villain roots. Um, My Dignum is Taron Edgerton. And I almost felt like it it was almost like a like a Godfather moment where I'm like, okay, I Pattinson, Madden and Edgerton are going to be in it. But I don't know which role they're going to be in. So it's, it's how to place them into Costigan, Sullivan and Dignum. And I think that was the best best solution there. Queenan, I have Pierce Brosnan. And uh, Madeline, I have Carrie Mulligan. And then the only other one I cast was LRB, the Alec Baldwin character. I have Colin Farrell.
0: We agreed on Madeline. That's interesting. We did.
1: Yeah, that, that was really interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. I, I think that would be really... I think Pattinson could totally carry the Costigan role.
3: Yeah, I like that one, too. That's, yeah, it's a, that's a good choice. The Keith so. Stanfield wouldn't be a too bad as well. I kind of... I liked he could do a lot of good work. I wanted him to be Dignum too.
0: I always pick him. Yeah. like didn't
3: see. Yeah. I I I I really
1: like the idea of this being a Guy Ritchie movie, though. So uh, I almost went with I almost went with Hugh Grant as Queenan, but I kind of like the idea of uh, of a former James Bond handling the undercover cops. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I decided to go with that instead. All right, here we go. So. Uh, who would Nicolas Cage play in this?
3: Mr. French.
1: Mr. French. Yeah, I, I thought Mr.
3: French said. and LRV were both the only options.
1: I said Costello. I think he could. I think he could play
2: Costello.
3: Well, Mr. French is reliable, and Nicolas Frank Cage Bob. is reliable. <laughs> yes. There we go.
2: <laughs> I I said the priest who uh, Costello talks to at the restaurant, the elderly, there priest. The
3: elderly <laughs> priest. There we go. The uh, elderly priest. There we go.
1: I mean, like 90s Nick Cage could have been any of the main characters.
0: It would almost need to be like 80s, like late 80s.
1: That's true. That's true. Yeah. All right. Ice War performance. Zach, I'll go to you first.
2: Okay. uh, Well, a lot to choose from. I'm going to go with Connor Donovan as young Colin because he looks a lot like Matt Damon. I mean, yeah. it, not just his facial features, but like the way he walks—it's absolutely believable. And it also kind of reminds me in that scene, in the opening scene, which is such a great opening scene. Um, it, it's so much better than the de-aging in the in um, the Irishman. When you just do that kind of low-key lighting over Nicholson's face, like that is so much more believable than de-aging. But that's just me on a on a rant there. Uh, young Colin is the is the highest war performance. You're not going to find a kid that looks more like Matt Damon.
0: It was only like a 10 year difference, not like 40 though. So it's a little easier to make that work.
2: I don't know about that, but he looks much more convincing with that kind of I, I wish more movies did that.
1: I mean, I think I think the most impressive de aging in this is uh Leo with and without the beard. I mean, he looks like he's sixteen without the beard yeah. and he looks like he's thirty-five he's got with the gold it, chain. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh Todd, highest work.
0: Uh, well, I guess, I guess I would say Mark Wahlberg because that role for me is the hardest one that I was trying to replace. And it, I, I really, there's something about him being the little guy in the room, but being the big talker and being intimidating at the same time like that not many people can do. And Mark Wahlberg is just great at that. And I, I guess I would say that that'd be the hardest one to replace. Yeah.
2: Well, this would clearly be the Joe Pesci role in the early '90s casting, right? There yeah, we go.
0: Well, it'd be more like early '80s, but yeah, I mean.
1: So, I mean, so Mark Wahlberg is the new Joe Pesci.
0: I could see I mean, it. You probably could have been if you would have been in more Scorsese's movies. Yeah.
3: Yeah. All right. I like that. One. Adam, I like that one.
1: Who's your highest for?
3: Ah, my goodness. I uh, I like the Mark Wahlberg choice because that was one of the harder hardest ones. Um. But yeah, he was—he's great in that one. Um, but I—I I think Jack, I think uh, Jack is gives a really great performance here too because he has a lot of, kind of some little freakouts. Yeah, he probably gets people doing him uh, the performance a little differently than he would have done. But we're talking about like he didn't get nominated. I, like it's shocking that he didn't get nominated for the, the the Oscar here. And even after so many years have gone by, it's like he should have got some recognition and at the Academy Awards for this one. So I think Jack Nicholson for me is one of the highest wars. He's the, he's the guy that I really enjoy watching. He, obviously he's been in so many great movies that I've really loved, but there's something about seeing Jack on screen again after, especially after have this rewatch. I'm like, I'm just glued till Jack on this movie. So Jack for me is the highest war.
1: I think the craziest part about that too, is he only made two movies after this. And then five years later, he retired and yeah. he hasn't made a movie since 2011. So uh,
3: supposedly Tony you remake? That's what I was Yeah, he was I mean, he was attached, it, he was, to, it. He was was
1: attached to it at one point, but I don't think yeah. what'd you say, Todd?
0: It was that movie was kind of scrapped, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. But so
0: also, what's crazy is that he was only 69 when he made this movie.
2: So not 70. Can we hear your conspiracy theory about that, Adam?
3: <laughs> I've been I've been wondering about that for the last hour. Okay, so <clears throat> my conspiracy theory on why I messed that up. <laughs> because I did the math on this I made sure I was like oh he's 71 that's when he made this movie that would make it 2008 and that's exactly the same year I started really getting uh, developing my movie taste and that's when I saw this movie was in 2008 and that's when also what you the hangover, the hangover hangover yeah so the, there are so many movies around there that I thought came out in 2008 that I think all the good movies that I like came out in 2008 not the hangover the hangover sounded really good but anyway, the, the, yeah, that's why I thought The, the Departed came I out of you're 2008. You're that, Damon.
0: Or, yeah, Sullivan says that he, you're 70 years old. He says that at one point in the movie. I thought that's
3: what you're he, going with. <laughs> No, but that, it's like the 2000 that year when I watched it, kind of just that that's where my head was like, oh, it came out in 2008. And I looked back at a couple movies. I'm like, that came out. Yeah, nope. I got the year completely off. And that's just. Uh, it also goes back with the Hangover review. I clearly say multiple times, 2008, 2008, when it came out the year before or the year after. I meant 2009. So something about 2008 that I, so, screws up my movies. So,
1: so Adam's conspiracy theory is: if a movie comes out and I don't see it, did it really come out? <laughs>
2: Hell yeah,
3: exactly. I don't, I don't hear the noise when the tree falls. Did it, really, did it make noise?
2: Now you could Our, make the argument that do you guys know the story about Jack Nicholson growing up? Like he thought his oh, sister that's was a good his mother. Call. So yeah. like maybe he really doesn't know his actual birth date. That's what you should have gone with Adam. And you would have gotten some points for that. But uh, know yeah, whatever. Do you guys know that? That like mm-hmm. yeah. He, he, yeah, so, yeah. All right. Yeah. We digress enough. Go ahead, Terry. All right. Highest uh, my, my highest war.
1: Honestly, there's like 10 people you could go with for highest war. And uh I'm going to go with the one of the main characters that really got no love the entire award season. And that's Matt Damon. Um, I think Matt Damon is so perfect for his role because like we already said, he is so perfect Boston because he's from there. He's done Boston. He did goodwill hunting and all that. He understands what Boston is. And yet, he has this look of just squeaky clean to him too, and he he is he embodies that character of Sullivan so perfectly, and uh, of being the guy who is the the uh, the Boy Scout that that's worked his way up in the in the uh, police ranks, but but he's the he's the mole. He's the he's the rat inside the police force. It, it's such a it's such a perfect casting and a perfect performance by Matt Damon. Um, but yeah, I could easily go with Leo. I could go with Jack. I could go with with uh, Wahlberg. I could. I mean, you could go with anybody really in this. But uh, I think Matt Damon really deserves a shout out. Um, and he didn't get any love throughout the entire award season. It was everybody else. But uh, that's because he I had the
0: good shepherd too. Like he had, he had a couple of that's that true vying for his
1: attention. Um, yeah. But man, he was good in this. He was good.
0: Now this is Leo's best performance. So I mean, but it's not necessarily a high war. That's that's the problem. That's why we don't go with him, right?
1: What is the yeah. highest war of Leo's Leo's career?
0: Wolf of Wall Street, Aviator, Catch Me If You Can,
3: Titanic. Oh yeah, good call. Mm.
0: All of those are legitimate answers. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I don't think it's this, but I think this is the best acting he ever did. Django is the least Leo performance that he ever gave.
2: Oh, I don't know about that. I think it is a super, super Leo performance. That this that's is like
0: the first non-Leo performance.
2: How is it a non-Leo performance? He's doing he's doing his thing. This is like basketball diaries Leo. This is Gangs of New York Leo. This is a very externalized Leo. In fact, watching it this time, I was less impressed with his performance than I was with Matt Damon's performance. Like Matt Damon, I feel like has a much more challenging performance. He has to have layers. Leonardo DiCaprio just kind of does his, you know, he does his thing, right? But Matt Damon has to be someone who looks polished and looks like he's with it, but really is corrupt. And he has this kind of good boy mannerism, but really he's deceitful and dishonest. I think it's a much more challenging role. But obviously, Which is little- why
1: he's more he's he's got a higher war.
2: Yeah,
0: I always thought he was sort of a Streisand, but I think he rocks a shit in this one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. There we well, go. Let, let's uh, let's use that to get into worst performance now. Uh, worst performance of of this masterpiece of a movie. Adam, it's your favorite movie of all time. What's the worst performance in it?
3: I actually had a hard time with this one. I, I think you could probably say some of the minor characters, but I didn't want to just like pick apart some of them. Uh, the one, the character that even watching it back when I did uh, was Anthony Anderson, and I think Anthony Anderson oh. is—he's not like horrible, and he's not like the worst one. I think that that's the more distracting performance because now I'm like, I I, I like Blackish—that's one a really fun show that he's in—but like I can't—I I, all I see is Anthony Anderson in that performance. I don't see Trooper Brown, but if I post take something off the main cast, it's going to be Donnie Wahlberg in this one. Because I just I it's Laz Laz Lazio or I think that's his name Frank Lazio, Frank Lazio. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. it's just a super small one. I love that scene with uh, where Mark Wahlberg just basically says, "Yeah, go after yourself." Yeah, to uh, to to his brother. So that's what I will. Uh, I want. I'll say Anthony Anderson for me. But it's not like a horrible. That's just the most distracting performance for me because I don't. I just see him, not the the performance, not the character.
0: Okay, yeah, it's not Donnie Wahlberg.
3: It's yeah, Robert. It's, it's Robert. Robert yeah. Well, whatever. Yeah, whatever. It's, <laughs> it's one of the Wahlbergs. See, uh, I, I am, never mind. N- name that Wahlberg, name that Wahlberg. I'll go next. Cause I actually
1: had Anthony Anderson down too. And, and kind of for a similar thing in that, I don't think he's necessarily bad. He just doesn't fit. It just yeah, that's doesn't, good point. It, it just doesn't look right. And he is because it's Anthony Anderson. I mean, it, it Like he was all he was, like I mentioned, he was that known commodity at this point, and and buying him as being the guy who goes through the academy with Leo, it just it 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 was it was distracting to see it it being Anthony Anderson in that moment. But I I think he's fine. But I I think that's that's maybe the maybe the worst casting um, of, of the movie, and maybe that's what I'll go with.
2: There's exactly. three. There are three black characters in this movie. You got Anthony Anderson. You got the guy at the beginning who says, you know, why can't we be, all be be friendly? It's the Rodney King kind of thing. And then you got the black woman that uh, sh- is chaperoned by Costello. I don't think. I don't think it's fair to. I, one of the well, And, of I, this and, movie, and it, I'm not. I'm not it's saying it, bit, it's.
1: I'm not saying it's a problem with with that at all. I'm just saying it's because it's Anthony Anderson. It's it's. I mean, you could put any comedian in that in that role. And it would be like, why are you sitting here?
2: It doesn't make any sense. I think he's fine. I have no problem with him. I like him in this movie.
0: It's a decent choice. I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> um,
2: All right, Zach, who do you got? I went with Vera Farmiga, not because it's a bad performance necessarily, but because her accent is distractingly bad. So much so that I actually have an article here from 2018 from Vulture. <laughs> where she actually talks about her accent. And not only does she acknowledge that it was a bad accent, but she actually throws Marty under the bus. She said that originally it was going to be, she had a dialogue coach, but the studio and Marty told her to tone it down. Like, what does that mean? First of all, when she slurs her R's and says, the rise of Pam, my, 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 my. I mean it's like it's a horrible accent to begin with but you're telling me that it is Marty's fault that it is that bad I don't know it's obviously she's she's great in the movie it's not really uh, her problem it's just like her accent sucks so I gotta go with her in a movie that doesn't have a lot of bad performances
1: see and I I, I listened to that this time and I noticed the same thing but I felt like her slipping in and out of it was more of like it, it felt like it was more of a choice of trying to be a part of or trying to be something else but slipping like it was when she got upset that that all of a sudden the boston came out in her and it felt like that was that was kind of what was happening i don't know
2: that's very generous
1: i don't i don't think it's a bad I, accent <laughs> i remember when i watched it I, I thought vera Farmiga was amazing in this
2: and uh no, she's like, good. It's just her accent. The accent doesn't work, but uh, as it, the other parts of performance are, are fine. No issue there. It's just her accent sucks. And apparently it's Marty's fault. Go figure. Oh,
3: your trouble. Your trouble. That's
2: her. <laughs> it should be your trouble. She didn't say right. it then. She didn't say it in that line. Todd. Whatever.
0: Well, I think the worst accent is easily Jack Nicholson. Like, he, like, he sounds he like even Jack try. Yeah. <laughs> There's He's a up. couple of times when you're like, wait, did that just slip into Boston? Like, uh, what was that? But, uh, the, I don't know. My worst there's no bad performances, but I wrote down Kristen Dalton as Gwen because I, yeah. I there's just a couple yeah. she has Good a couple call. lines that are just off. Like when she says she's choir going to choir
2: practice, yeah, it's it's just corny. It's like it, it was, it more, choir practice.
0: Yeah, so I mean, yeah, there's no bad performances really, but that's that's as close as I could come. All right.
1: Amazing Larry, big Tim, high roller. Todd, I'll let you go first.
0: Oh man, I have two. Uh, I mean, I'll say Fitzy because F- Fitzy—he's <laughs> the shit. Like he—he he can't spell, and he tries to call a kid for not spelling. But he's the moron. Like every line he says is hilarious. Even how he calls, uh, how he calls uh, Frenchie, like the, to say that he's not going to be home for dinner. Like that whole scene is just amazing. Like I want to see more of Fitzy. Like he's an asshole, but he's funny and he's pretty dumb. And I think that makes a great uh, big Tim High Roller award winner.
2: It's a solid pick. That's a good pick. That's a good pick. Good, cut. good pick. I almost went with that one. Zach, how about you? I went with Jimmy Bags because Jimmy Bags also has a low key real uh, race to be MVP of this movie, if you think about it, because that's Jimmy Bags. What? You punched Jimmy Bags? Like, he has this great rapport with everybody in the criminal underworld, and yet he's also undercover. He does what Leo and Matt Damon can't successfully do. He actually fools everybody over the course of the movie. He is the master manipulator. And, uh, you know, when he reaches for those cigarettes, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, brilliant acting there. It's Jimmy Bags. What? Hello? Everybody knows it's Jimmy Bags. You don't punch Jimmy Bags.
3: I was going to ask how many teeth he knocked out. That's a tri- that's a trivia question, but I couldn't tell. I was like, is that a pebble or is that a tooth? Like, what's what is it? Is it three or three? Lots of the the theories
2: about his dental hygiene. I think generated yeah. from this recent rewatch. Yeah,
1: yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'll go next. My my uh, my amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller, best minor character. Uh, I went with Della Hunt. Um, I re- honestly didn't really notice him that much, and I don't didn't really remember him that much when I watched it, but he's awesome in like every scene he's in he he's he's just great i i and uh yeah i have i there's some conspiracy theories i think that we need to talk about later on with him but uh uh i think i think he's just he's just awesome and it mark ralston i've seen him in other stuff and it wasn't until this time that i was like oh hey that's that's that guy that that's that's the guy from uh from rush hour and that's the guy from uh from Shawshank Redemption and, and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> he's the, uh, so,
0: the main
2: bad guy. <laughs> he's uh,
1: Boggs, right? Isn't that his name? Yeah. I think it's yeah, Boggs.
2: That sounds right. In the deleted scene. he has an extended version of his death scene. And Marty yes. says that uh, that's his, actually one of his favorite scenes from the movie. I and saw that. It's really good acting. I mean, it's a little unrealistic that I mean, his whole death scene is a little unrealistic. Maybe that's a flaw, but like, that's powerful acting. Like I think his death scene and his like gargling is way better than Jack's death scene and his gargling at the end of the movie. It's like, he had
0: already spit out all the squibs for me. He just <laughs> <laughs> went with it. <laughs> yeah.
3: All right. Adam, did I steal yours? Yeah. The ad, and it's because of that deleted scene is that oh, that's yeah. why it was one of my favorites. So I guess I'm uh, my favorite minor character, Anthony Anderson, Trooper, no, um, <laughs> Uh, no, I am trying to think the...
0: Cousin Sean, just say it. Cousin Sean yeah. was one of the
2: choice. Yeah, that's a great pick.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, welcome back. Uh, well, so you're that's out. They're, yeah. they're
2: Puerto Ricans!
0: Yeah. He looks yeah. like he belongs in a... He looks like he belonged in Goodfellas more than he belonged in this movie. Like, he's just so great laid point. back. He doesn't, he doesn't need the stress of this movie. He just needs to be able to get high and sell drugs and, you know...
1: <laughs> Wait, isn't he Goodfellas? Yeah.
0: He might be. Yeah, he probably Ooh, is. There we go. is very.
1: Yeah, isn't he in Goodfellas? Conspiracy. Kevin Corrigan. Kevin Corrigan. Isn't he the? Isn't he the the brother?
0: Yeah, Michael. Yeah, Michael. Yeah, he. Yeah, that's right. He's the sauce. Brother.
1: Yeah, he's stirring the sauce from the wheelchair.
0: Oh, <laughs> there we nice. go. There we go. Wow. wow. No wonder he belongs in Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah.
3: No wonder because he's in Goodfellas. There we go. <laughs> uh all right.
1: Did did, did yeah. you is that what you're going with Adam? I could I'd...
3: Yeah, I guess I'll go with him. But I also kinda like the, the guy who gets shot in the kneecap, who gives up that he says, I... I'm so hard, man, right now, man. I like I don't even know yeah. what I'm saying. He, he's gonna sell me out to the FBI. I don't even know. <laughs> like that guy. That yeah. guy's pretty great too. Uh... That's a pretty fun scene. Nicholas Cage would probably do that really that, that scene justice, too. Yeah,
2: that's the that Nicolas Cage performance, if we're going minor character Nicolas They
1: say Cage. the adrenaline's supposed to kick in, but it didn't! I'm not in shock, man! Oh, yeah, that's what it is.
2: They say the shock is
1: supposed to kick in! I'd be kicked on the curb until I pissed blood!
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite minor character. I'm glad you uh, could kill a hunt now. I, I'm glad I took that one.
1: All right, uh... Okay, so Adam, I'll let you go first on this one then. Uh, we'll just go with both these together. Stickman
3: and the Billy Bat's douchebag. Oh, Stickman, I got I got Colin Sullivan. It's Matt it's Matt Damon's character because obviously he gets fear of Amiga and he also makes he give he gives her the look at the table when he sits in for the first meeting with Ellerby when they're going over the uh, the the big the big players for Costa uh, Costello there too. Uh, he just makes that he makes that one subtle, like, hey, how's it going? Type of his eyes. So that's Matt, the, Colin Sullivan's the biggest stick man here, I think. I guess you could say Costello technically too, but I won't. Yeah, I'll just say Colin Sullivan now. And the biggest douchebag, I'm thinking Uncle Edward. Uh,
2: yeah, that's a good pick.
3: Yeah, the, uh, done. Billy Costigan's Uncle Edward. He says, after my, uh, my sister dies, we're done. I'm disconnecting my family with you. So, like, yeah, Uncle Edward I think is the biggest douchebag. There's obviously a lot of background information that we necessarily don't know but we get get some and yeah he's just he just looks like a douchebag and just all he cares about the money he's like you need some money just kind of throws off um some, some money towards Billy and Billy's like nope I'm I'm good thank you so yeah uncle Edward for me is the biggest douchebag
1: all right all right I I almost went with him but I, I went with uh I went with cousin Sean instead <laughs> <laughs> He deserves they, to be in uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, I mean, this would this would be this would be Uncle uh, Uncle's son. So I mean, it makes sense. Um, yeah, he 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 knows his place, yet refuses to stay there. And uh, and I mean, if if Billy keeps running with him, it's going to get him in trouble. So uh, uh, it was. Yeah, he, he's he's just an idiot in everything he does and uh there's a reason why he why billy very quickly hops over uh hops over him and gets uh gets into costello's crew so that's my that's my douchebag uh my stick man is uh the only one that we actually see with more than one woman and that's costello that's good yeah good call i mean
3: with coke with coke
1: oh yeah that that is definitely involved <laughs> <laughs> That is that is like the the trippiest scene of the entire movie right there.
2: All right, Zach. Uh I think Adam's pick of uh Colin as a stickman is a terrible pick. Um, that's a, that was a good pick. He <laughs> cannot he cannot perform, okay? He he um. has sexual frustration and uh some real issues there in the bedroom. Um some real hang-ups, I think just sexually overall. And uh, I love that uh, He got a number I mean, he, even his even his stick man game, all he does is just insult her job. Like, really? And, you know, he's complaining about the duck all the range And, like, I mean, in a way, I guess that's smooth, but it's, like, empty sort of smooth. It's, like, another layer to why Matt Damon actually wins this movie over Leo. Well, he's um,
0: an asshole, and he still seems cool. And that that's the point of being a stick man.
2: Uh, I, I I don't know about that. I, I I think the the tiny speck on the penis of the uh you know uh, the, I mean that is like a reflection of Ma- of uh, Matt Damon's movie. Anyway, the only Stickman you could go with is Costello, and I think Costello actually has a legendary run of Stickman. We we could put him in the Stickman Hall of Fame because. Uh, he doesn't even need to go to porn. He doesn't understand why anyone would go to a porno movie. I mean, he has had a uh, woman after woman. He has even slept <laughs> with sister Mary Teresa before she took the vow. The only other t- TV <laughs> or movie character I've ever heard of that happening to was that episode of, of Seinfeld where Kramer gets the nun to uh, disavow her vows. Anyway, Costello is a legendary stick man and uh, the biggest douche of the movie. I mean, obviously, Uncle Edward's a great pick. I'm going to go with Frenchie's wife. Uh, Just like Officer Slater's wife, uh, she's been around uh, many times and uh, was two-timing Mr. French, Arnold, uh, Mr. Arnold French. Now, did she deserve what she got? Probably not, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Uncle Edward was the better pick. All right.
0: Uh, Todd? Uh, Okay, the biggest stick man is, of course, Dignam's father because he, as you said, (laughs) made Dignam's mother tired from... Father, so that I mean, that is by definition a pretty stick man ish. And uh, my biggest uh, Swan Oliphant award is uh, uh Brian smidge as man, glassed in bar. Uh, who is the guy who uh, says oh. that is kind of a natural diuretic? My girlfriend drinks it when she gets on, got her period. What do you got your period? And then that actor is only a stuntman, and Scorsese put him in there, but he's hilarious. And that, <laughs> yeah,
2: he is good.
0: And the, but as a super douchebag thing to say, I mean, Frenchie does it, and he is, I mean, he's, he's like <clears throat> intimidating when he says it, but he, like, man, glassed in bar. He's just, he's just a dick.
1: That's a great call. That's a great call. Okay. Best scene in the departed. Best scene. Todd.
0: Uh well it's I think it's when when Dignum gets to address the SIU for the first time and his like back and forth with Ellerby where you where you know uh he's like insulting him, he says, you know, I don't you know he doesn't trust anybody there like that's when Dignum is at his peak and like because I think that the thing that got him his Oscar nomination was his introduction scene but like that's a scene that made like the last impression on the movie and he's just next level there you know like he's like he's like maybe maybe not maybe f yourself like like it's just like he just has this aura to him where it's just like that that's the best character in this movie and it's the best scene
1: <laughs> that, that is a great scene it, it is a great one. Zach, what do you got?
2: I, uh, yeah, I might scene also involved in them and it's the first time we see him. It's where it's the job interview basically for uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, I mean, just a brilliant, great sequence. What I love about that scene is like, you don't understand what that scene is about until the second time you watch the movie, because you really don't know what they do after only seeing the movie once, right. Or, or watching that scene uh, raw. And it's just kind of great dynamics between those three characters I, you know, the way that Leo tenses up is just awesome in that scene. The worst thing about that scene is that for whatever reason, and this is maybe one of my flaws, Marty and Thelma decided to intercut it with some of this. I'd forgotten that they did this. They intercut it with some of the scenes with Matt Damon, like with Alec Baldwin. It's like, okay, I know, I know you're Martin Scorsese. You have a lot of energy, but like, let's just slow down. This is a great sequence. We don't need these, these insert interruption type things. We don't need these digressions. So that's for me the most powerful sequence of the movie, and it sets up the whole premise. Um, but. Many, many great scenes to choose from.
1: Yeah, good call, good call. Adam, how about you? Uh,
3: my my sequence is going to be my favorite scene in the movie. Those are both great ones, of course. But I'm thinking after they leave, when uh, Leo's following Matt Damon through the alley, the alleyway after they leave the theater, uh, that's pretty, pretty intense sequence. Like, will they? Who's going to see him? They even address like he almost got the rat inside of the uh, the special forces unit type of thing, in a. It that was a really cool sequence, especially when you you think he's going to get uh, Leo's going to get uh, stabbed or whatever, but it's it's, a, it's not the case, and the whole progression up to the video camera. That was just a really cool scene, and I, that's one of my favorites that uh, the movie brings us to. So, the alley sequence, of course. Yeah, I had
1: know? I had two, Um, and uh they both go back to when I first watched the movie. I remember my reactions to these two scenes, and one of them also involves Leo and Matt Damon, but it's not that one. It's the scene where Queenan has just died and Sullivan calls Costigan on the cell phone. And 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 it's just like 30 seconds of just dead silence as both of them are on the phone and neither of them wants to say anything because both of them know the voice on the other side is going to be the rat. And uh, it, it, is, it is just such a brilliant moment of tension. And I remember just being on the edge of my seat watching that for the first time in the theater. Just like, this this is just too much. It, 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 was, it was so insane. The other scene is the crazy, crazy end to this whole thing. when the elevator opens and shots are fired... I mean that is one of the most jaw-droppingly shocking moments I've ever had watching a movie in the theater. When uh, when the door opens and the bullet hits Costigan, I mean that that moment right there is like I I can't I that that's one of the craziest moments I've ever had watching a movie for the first time. And and I remember that I just jaw dropped, just shocked, just shock at what was happening and just cementing it as such a masterpiece too
0: so one thing okay so that one scene you said the uh, the phone call he actually does call him back and so he hears his voice and he knows the other guys in the group personally so how did he not know that it was costigan that was the rat yeah like, i don't know like, like i was like thinking that said, too he, maybe like it was, he actually maybe it was knows just... the other guys
1: Maybe it was just, it was that hard to, he couldn't be sure because of, it was over the phone, couldn't distinguish the, I mean, all all y'all sound alike, I don't know.
0: (laughs) The other other scene I was thinking about was when Costigan meets up with Queenan and Dignam uh, by the water, because I remember Mm -hmm. that that was Wahlberg's Oscars uh, clip, because it was the only clip that he has a sentence where he doesn't curse. And it was—we're <laughs> the only two people in the world that even know you're a cop, and that's all that they could put on, <laughs> put on the Oscar telecast.
3: <laughs> and Walbrook's like, "Okay, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what
0: he, he's like. He's just like, uh, all right, <laughs> uh,
2: all right. Okay. I, I have—I I, got to pull an audible for a second. We'll make this real fast. I have another category that we've never done before, but I really—I w- I want us to do this as a category from now on. If you had to make *The Departed* two, what would it be about?" I mean you could do you could go sequel, Ooh. you could go prequel, you could go side character, you could go oh, any- this has already got a, a precedent
0: though, because in the Infernal Affairs sequels were about Dignam's character.
2: I think my personal direction would be to go a prequel about the friendship between Cousin Sean and Miles Kennefic, directed by the Fairley brothers. Ooh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, that would be interesting.
2: Just because kind he of, goes to his funeral, and uh, there'd be a lot of smoking in that. I think Seth Rogen would have to be involved in the production.
1: There we go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my initial reaction is is uh, is Dignum and and what happens with him after that. Uh, and, and or maybe it's it's looking at all of the I mean, all the unanswered questions.
2: But what about like even cu- uh, Uncle Jackie, for example, like that whole backstory, it's almost like the Sopranos uh, movie that's supposed to be coming out. Right. Like there is a whole, yeah. uh, you know, basically mythology that pre- predates the events in this movie that is really <laughs> fascinating, like Uncle Jackie and then William's father and Frank Costello. Like that is that that's a movie right there. i have watched that. That's true. That's true. Yeah, there
0: is some like Sopranos-ish like backstory that we don't ever get into but we know is there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would like to see um, maybe you follow Madeline too because there's so many unanswered questions. And this was some of my conspiracy theories, so this is going right into that too. There's so many and and that's one of the things that makes this movie so great. So many unanswered questions, especially around Madeline. I mean, whose baby is it? What was in the envelope? We, I mean, we don't know these things, and and maybe it's better if we don't. But I, I think there's there's definitely some stories that could be told with uh with the Madeline character as well.
0: I would have liked to see Queenen as an actual undercover back in the day.
2: Yeah. Ooh, that yeah, that'd be fair. fun. Or Ellerby rising up the ranks through his golf uh, golfing. His golfing, in his press conferences. <laughs> there we go uh i don't yeah. know i
3: think you guys pretty much touched on them all i, I don't know uh, missed yeah I, I don't know something with mr french i, I think yep. younger mr that's french a whole i think story that's, right there i don't know i think you guys pretty much touched on everything
1: all right well let's get into flaws uh uh flaws and conspiracy theories i, I already mentioned a couple of mine but I, i've got a couple more so i'm gonna go ahead um so my conspiracy theory, or just my question that I find fascinating, and uh, the, the deleted scene Marty kind of talks about a little bit too. Was Della Hunt a cop or not?
2: No. I, I, I don't so. think he
0: was. That was what they put
2: out there. <laughs> I think he was a cop because if he wasn't a cop, why wouldn't he squeal on Billy right then and there? Like he's he's delaying his death and not telling anybody because he's also protecting Billy right why wouldn't he say anything that well, he says
0: ask me why he didn't say anything but that's because he liked because he liked billy i don't it's know it's it
2: it's ambiguous but i lean toward more that he was he was an undercover cop and well, it Kostkin says it
0: was right though coskin said you know like they're saying that so i stopped looking for the rat there's no way there were two rats true. that were in the, the the four people that were closest to him why not Jimmy Bags was a rat?
2: I mean there, there are rats throughout this movie. That's, I know, that's but in
0: difficult. in his like closest knit group that he has with him all the time, if there were two of the four were 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 cops. Like that's that seems impossible. They all
2: they almost outnumber him. <laughs> I don't think so. I think that's so, that's possible. So the only other I
1: think the only other explanation is in that deleted scene. Um first off, it talks about how Delahunt had been in um in Castell's crew for ten years. So if he was undercover, he'd been undercover for ten years. But he also talks about how um, how uh, Costello had asked him if he could, if they, he found the rat, if he could kill him, and he said, "I now know the answer is I can't. I couldn't kill him, and I, I couldn't kill. I'm not a murderer." And then he says, "I gave you the wrong address." And 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 uh, and ask me why I didn't I didn't say anything, so that's the only other explanation. The other than he also is an undercover cop, which I think could still be. I mean, that'd be crazy if he'd been undercover for ten years, but we don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe not. So. Maybe go after <laughs> yourself. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that I I thought that that's a fascinating question and one of the things that makes this movie so great is there's so many things that it just kind of leaves open-ended like that that you got to kind of try and figure out for yourself because the answer really doesn't matter in the end but um it's fascinating
2: to talk about or the studio said this needs to be two and a half hours well there's that too
1: (laughs) but even if you have that even if you have that that the rest of that scene in there i don't think it necessarily answers the question I, I think it. I think you could still have the answer. To that question be that Del Hunt is undercover. Um, anyway, so the other, um, the but other Billy thing has that a I reason
2: want to say, why he would. Uh, sorry, but Billy has a reason to say that. It's to it's to remove the incriminating evidence against him. That's why he says. Well, whatever. Okay, go ahead, Terry. Never mind.
1: Okay, so so this is this might be a flaw, uh, and I'm and I'm curious to know what the answer is, and and may, maybe I know the answer, but. The, the, the climactic scene when when Costigan gets shot how did Berrigan know what was going on why was he there I mean he says he says you know you you think uh, you were the only one that Costello had on the inside so did Berrigan know the whole time that Costello or that that Sullivan was the rat in the in the police force or and and if so how did Berrigan know that he was and how did he know to be at that building? The only answer is that Anthony Anderson decided to bring him along as backup. That is the only explanation of why he would be there. But because, then he acts
0: surprised when he sees him and he shoots
1: him. Yeah. Cause, cause, but, but Costello's dead. His entire inner circle is dead. There's no one left to inform. Yeah. Uh, Berrigan of what's going on or that oh, Sullivan know, yeah. is even an inside guy. He had no reason to be there other than the fact that Anthony Anderson, because he was part of his task force, brought him along. That's the only explanation. And that doesn't quite make sense.
0: Well, or obviously he was in with a different group of guys. Or the key, because you never see him with Costello. Costello didn't have a
1: different group of guys.
0: But you never see him with Costello at any point. And so, I don't know. He was obviously in a different part of the organization.
1: Yeah, I don't, know. I don't know. It
0: it did Yeah, I mean, he could have been tailing him at that point or something. I don't know. It
1: it, it was. It felt after I was looking at it, that. That is way too convenient. Way yeah, too. Yeah, into a little bit moment.
0: of what I was going to talk about too.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um. So so go ahead, Todd. Since you that leads into you.
0: Well, okay. So uh, other like more traditional flaws like um, Leo looks ridiculous in a Red Sox hat, and I didn't buy it whenever I see it. <laughs> Um, okay and so and when when uh cost is uh he's uh tailing sullivan his phone rings but it was for a text message and he was getting texts while he was in the porn theater and it was just vibrating so he turned on like a phone ringer some point during the point when he left the theater and then when he got to that alley where his phone rings and sets everything off like that that never makes like that that just is wrong (laughs) but okay so uh, the ending thing is, is really what you're talking about. So it really comes back to another thing is what is in the envelope that Costigan gives to Madeline? Because you never yeah. find out. And like, it has to be something connecting her with Dignum, which is why he would have been in his apartment, but he couldn't even get a hold of him. How would he know how they let her contact him? And they already pat- uh, tabbed Berrigan as the mole. So they, I mean, they couldn't have known that Sullivan was the guy. Like, I mean, I really doubt that Madeline would have put a hit on Sullivan at that point. Like, they already had the mole. Everything checked out. And then Sullivan bothers to go, like, do the whole, like, we're going to give him the 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 Medal of Merit and give him a full cop burial. But, like, Sullivan was in the clear, and he's good at lying. Like, like Costing could have been absolutely anybody, and Dignam was already out on leave. Like, he could have made it a lot less suspicious just by, like, saying, like, yeah, this is some other guy that was there and then Berrigan was was the mole or the or the the rat and uh and he all died like i don't know he made it way more complicated than it need to be and that probably set off dignum
1: well, but but it... madeline knew i mean madeline was also a loose end that he never cleaned up which is interesting too i know but he, how, he,
0: how... how what was the point what was in the envelope then
1: there had to well, be some audio I mean, something it, it, but he but it didn't even need for, the envelope. I mean, it didn't need the envelope for Madeline to know because she had the CD. I know. I know, but who's she going
0: to? To how is Dignam ending up there then? And where is she? Like I don't know. I, so she would have had to contact him, but how would she have gotten a hold of him if Leo couldn't even get a hold of him? It, I mean, uh, it had like the, I don't know. There's something. There's there's some like scene that's missing there.
1: You think you think so? You would think so?
0: And I just think that's unless the that that
1: envelope it. is like is is uh Marcellus Wallace's briefcase. I mean Oh, yeah, it's true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but Sullivan just made it way more complicated by by not just like brushing Leo's character aside and saying like, oh, this was obviously the guy I killed him and everything's good now.
1: So obviously that envelope contains Billy Costigan's soul. That's yes. yeah. Good call. <laughs> All right. Either of you have any uh any flaws or any conspiracy theories you want to talk about?
3: uh gripe that alec baldwin swing looked painful his golf swing looks so painful (laughs) he could not drive the ball he probably swung and missed at that thing like that that was bad that's that's a big gripe for me it looks like that's a cheap driving range now (laughs) yeah
2: do you know i once saw alec baldwin in person i was in new york city and uh he walked down the street And, and it was so weird because it was one of those things where it's like everybody must've been thinking, is that Alec Baldwin? Cause no one was like, give me your autograph. Everyone just like walked past him because it was so surreal. And, uh, I didn't think it was him at first, but then my wife was like, that's Alec Baldwin. And that's my Alec Baldwin story. That's awesome. That is awesome. There we go. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Well, uh,
1: let's get into, oh, hold on. Are- I know oh, think- you got some, okay, go Sorry, just,
2: I'll go really fast. Who, why is there, why is there a porn theater in Boston in 2006? Like, come on, give me a break. Um, and uh the uh, the audio from the porn theater is way too clean does colin actually go to law school or does he just lie and say that he goes to law school um could could ben affleck have played billy costigan i think it's possible and uh queenan's death is what happens after that is eerily similar to colin farrell's death in a movie we watched called uh voyagers because uh, you know the shit hits the fan and everybody goes crazy just like in that movie too i think the real gripe though overall this movie's like too macho like what is with all the sucker punching and like the the language? It's like this movie. I think has like Dr. Madeline would diagnose it as like some Freudian issues with hyper masculinity in this movie. It's like too much of a bro movie. I watching it this time. I'm like, just tone it down a little bit, okay? This movie, like the biggest flaw for me, is that this movie is very heavy handed in a lot of ways. It's like how let's play a drinking game. How, you know, with the, the number of sucker punches in this movie. Like, come on, let's just let's, let's class the place up a little bit. That's all I'm saying. Challenge accepted. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're not the New York mafia. They're from
0: yeah,
2: Boston. That's true.
1: All right. Let's go to uh, let's go to LVP MVP and then we'll get to our quotes of the day to wrap this up. Adam, you're first. LVP MVP.
3: All right. MVP. Actually, no, let's go LVP. The guy who sets up the camera, the camera tech guy. Why yes. didn't he set us the back up of the, the building? Yeah, he like, "Let me talk to you for a second. What the hell? Alec Baldwin going off on that guy. Yeah, that's a that's a bad one. He's a LVP there and uh, MVP Billy Costigan's English teacher. He is very because well read. He's well yeah, read. Yeah, and, yeah. And Although Colin reads James Joyce, he knows how to spell. He knows how to spell. eleven-year-old
2: reads James Joyce. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, sure, there we go.
3: No, 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 you're good. That's all. <laughs> and was, I, Comics. Yeah, and Wolverine. No, uh, no, solved. he doesn't read. That's Sullivan. Different guy. Yeah. Leo's Billy yeah, Col- Costigan. Young yeah, Sullivan he, he, he reads James Sullivan. Joyce.
2: He says, you know, non-servium. James Joyce. like He's, he's talking, talking about Costigan, though.
3: Yeah, I know. He's talking about Cost. Yeah, okay. Never mind. They're both. Never mind. It's It's gone. It's gone. They're it's both well-read.
1: They are both well-read. Both
3: of their English teachers did their job. There we go. Perfect. Let's to say that. They're English teachers.
1: <laughs> All right. Todd. Blue
0: one. Uh, LVP. I'm going with uh, Berrigan because I, I don't know. I feel like he doesn't get it. Like he's, he's the better mole, I guess, but how does he not know that Costigan's dead? Because of how he words it, he thinks that he's still getting taken down by the FBI. And even if he just misspoke, then he's just, I don't know. It's just another accomplice who can ID him and, and take him down. So why does he even bother trying to save him? I don't understand Berrigan's whole MO and the MVP. I will go with uh, William Monaghan, who's a screenwriter. Because it's his only movie that he wrote that didn't suck, and the first thing he thinks in his Oscar speech is Valium. And, you know... So, yeah, William Monahan's my guy.
2: <laughs> Kingdom of Heaven wasn't that bad. You have to watch the director's cut. It's not a bad movie. Oh,
0: it's one of those.
2: Yeah.
3: It's one of those. Margaret. There we
2: go. Four-hour Justice League. Alright, Zach, sure. you're next. Uh, My LVP is Jimmy Pappas, because he... In, in the span of one month, had a heart attack, was knifed in jail, and it was framed for a murder he didn't commit. I mean, that's pretty LVP stats right there. And then my MVP of this movie is flip phones. I've never seen a movie that made flip phones look cooler. I mean, literally, it made me nostalgic for those freaking Nokia Samsung flip phones. I mean, that was, it, it made it look awesome in this movie. Way cooler than any iPhone that I've ever had. Seriously. That's how you hang
0: up. You hang up by flipping it down. Like, it's like... Yep. Power yeah, you it could do with
2: anger and aggression. Oh, yeah.
1: it's Being able to open your phone and send a text in your pocket and know exactly oh. what you just sent. I miss those me. days. I miss those days. I did that at
2: a choir concert once, Terry. <laughs>
1: that does not surprise <laughs> me at all. <laughs> all right. Uh, so my LVP, I, I had the surveillance camera guy written down. But um, my LVP, I'm going to say, is the Oscars. Because I remember that night, and I remember it was a big deal that Scorsese couldn't actually go out on stage when they won Best Picture because he wasn't a producer. And now they just let the like the entire cast and crew go on stage of everyone that's there and celebrate together. But at that time, it was only the ones that actually won the Oscar for Best Picture could be on stage.
0: Yeah, so Brad Pitt can go on
1: stage either. Yeah, yeah. So it, I mean, so that was that was that's LVP, but MVP. Is the uh, the shot that came out of this and that is Marty watching from backstage after he just won his Best Director Oscar, watching them so, um, accept the Oscar for Best Picture. And honestly, that moment is more poignant and better than him actually being on stage. So uh, so LVP is the Oscars, but MVP is kind of the Oscars also for uh, for making that
2: moment and that that shot happen. I always thought Marty's speech was a little low-key douchey because he never thanked any of the other nominees. I always stuck yeah. out to me, but whatever. <laughs>
1: and we already talked
2: about how that was a great a great group of nominees.
1: Yeah.
3: All right. I I, w- I would say my MVP also is the Dropkick Murphys, who I'm uh, yes. uh, shipping out to Boston song. So that's, yes. every time great I hear that song, I, I always think the departed. So there we go. Great Dropkick call. Murphys.
2: And then what was with Patsy Cline's Sweet Dreams in this movie? That shit was on like 10 <laughs> times in this movie. Marty really needed to cut down like and then of course Give Me Shelter was on 10 times too. It's like is it the same three songs in this whole movie? Right, that's another gripe. Sorry. <laughs> All
1: right, well let's wrap this up. Quote of the day time. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack.
0: With a little sex in it. Quote
1: of the day.
0: Wait, hold on. Adam. We're going to go to Adam first on our uh, wrapping up our last podcast, right? Find what? out what we're doing and what who gets the point.
1: Oh, yes. Uh, yes.
0: That's... Okay, Adam.
3: call. All right. The point. Uh, uh, shit. Okay. Um... Does he know what we're talking about? <laughs> yes, I know who you're talking about. I couldn't decide who I get the point. Just get the point to everybody. Everybody gets points. Point everybody for you point for, point. you. point for you. Point for you. Because it was it was based on my stupidity. Because of my call him, my call him
1: Oprah. Everybody gets a point. Yeah,
3: everybody gets a point. <laughs> all right. And cool. what Arlette? Yeah. You get <laughs> a point. Go.
1: And you get a point. And you get a point. Everybody gets a yeah. point.
3: <laughs> and Arlette has come up with the category best performance by a musician in a movie. Oh, so it could wow. be singer, Very it could be a rapper, it could be a, you know, a musician. It has to be like a recording as being a musician. Yeah, so okay. not like a J-Lo who's known for both like, or, or known for one can. thing. And then, yeah, so it has to be, okay. you have to be known as wow. a musician and also do a performance.
2: Can we ch- it can I to change MVP? my It can't, it can't, can't be a video game. game.
3: Can't be. <laughs> I'm going to well, change
2: my MVP to Arlette. That's a great category. That is a great category. Yeah.
3: There we go. There we go. Yeah. I like it. All right, well All right. then,
2: Adam, keep
1: going. Give us give us your quote of the day.
3: All right, so my quote of the day is from this Time Magazine article uh, from, I believe, a couple of years ago. It was uh, this Kickstarter campaign that came up from, what's this guy's name? Director Adam Sachs has launched a Kickstarter campaign about the ending sequence. Basically, his gripe was, it's always bothered me that a movie as good as the part has such a cheesy ending, and I recently realized it could be fixed by digitally erasing the rat from the last shot. That's the, that's the quote. He wants to digitally remove the last shot so he set up a Kickstarter to do just that. So, Beautiful. there we go. There we go. Not much of a... You know what? Yeah. Okay.
2: That sounds like a lot of money going into, uh, you know, smoking pot in his bedroom, his parents' That's house.
3: probably what it is. <laughs> Sacks of pot. Yeah, Sacks. Director All right. Sacks. All right.
0: Todd. Uh, well... I don't know. I have two. Uh, the first one is like I-, I love this one part where Leo is talking to Costello, and uh, Costello's like, "Oh, so you agree that there's a rat?" And he's like, "I mean, you said there was one. I base most of what I do on the idea that you're pretty good at what you do." <laughs> <laughs> I-, I just yeah, like that's the one time like Le- like Co- uh, uh, is just sped up. He's just like us. Oh. Like, dude, come on. Like, I'm tired of playing games. Like. <laughs> And my other one is, uh, Costello talking to, I don't even know who the guy was just sitting at the bar. He said, the the IRA guy, he's like, uh, I'm just kidding. How's your mother? And he's like, well, she's on her way out. And he's like, we
2: all are act accordingly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Zach. All right. Well, going off of Todd's MVP pick, good pick by the way, William Monahan, um, cool looking guy too at the Oscar ceremony. Uh, I, I, I love any time a screenwriter can come up with a more original way of saying something that we hear in every movie. We hear the line, you're fired in so many movies. When LRB says, world needs plenty of bartenders, that's a great way of saying you're fired. That's actually, watching it this time, that was one of the lines that was like, wow, that, that's actually great dialogue right there. And then he also says, two weeks with pay. World needs b- more bartenders. That's a really eloquent way of saying yep. you're fired. Yeah, awesome. Good job, Bill Monaghan. Keep writing those shitty and movies. He-
0: and he played a bartender in Invincible like the same year.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I've got two quotes. Uh the first one is uh is Della Hunt um hanging outside the bar and uh and Koska walks out, You're a cop! Huh? You're ignoring us. You're a cop. We're guessing who cops are. Most good looking women are cops. Uh I thought that was a really funny line. But my other uh, my other quote is uh, uh, comes from uh, a review of The Departed, uh, written by one Zach Saltz, that's posted on our website. Uh, it says uh, The Departed is indeed a masterpiece, but occasionally a perfunctory one, if such a brand of masterpiece exists. The dialogue is crisp and sharp, but never memorable and occasionally laden in clumsy Bostonian imitation. David Edelstein characterizes the dialogue as David Mammoth Speak, played at Alvin the Chip and the Chipmunk Speed. Nicholson can be downright scary, but too often in the latter half of the film drifts into clumsy, floozy mode a la Terms of Endearment. This, there, is no su- uh, there is no time for meditative self-reflection in The Departed. The characters are too busy either, either shooting each other or frantically giving directions on their cellular phones. This makes the characters cold and distant, not distant in the way that Travis Bickle and Jake LaMotta are painfully isolated, but in a way where they are auspiciously cut off from the viewer. Who really are these people? What are their goals, their wishes, their hopes, their fears? And while the finale is trumped up and content to bathe itself in a tub of blood, the camp nihilist final shot is, in retrospect, less Shakespearean and more uh, Scorsese's idea of a sick final joke disguised as a payoff. But, as Scorsese uh, himself would probably attest to, the departed is more concerned with exceptionally clever plotting and surprising twists then lucid character study and thought
2: provocation.
1: For as Sullivan and Dr. Madeline conclude on their first date, the Irish are impervious to psychoanalysis.
2: Oh yeah, I worked hard on that ending there. <laughs> <laughs> it actually appeared in our our, our uh, school newspaper, Terry. I don't know if you know that.
1: Did, did that really appear? Oh, uh, nice. I nice. think I
2: still stand by, by a lot of what I said there. I, yeah, That doesn't I, sound like a four-star review, though. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it
2: doesn't. I was trying to be. I, you know, I read. Pauline I read Kale the, there, the, the there, end but, uh, where
1: he was giving some uh, some critiques, but
2: the whole thing is can be found something? on almost
1: sideways.com. So it's posted there as a top fifty movie of all time, even it, with all that being said.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I would put it that high anymore. I mean, I respect you, Adam, and I think it is a great movie. It's not quite there for me anymore. Goodfellas is, is my number one Scorsese movie, but it was definitely fun watching it. Now, the real question is, was it more fun watching it or listening to this podcast, which now runs longer than the actual movie?
1: <laughs> that is indeed the question. Well, and with that, we're going to uh, leave that question unanswered uh, as uh, like only... The envelope. Yeah, exactly. will never know. And we'll draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and find us all over the internet. Uh, we'll be back at you next week, I believe, with our Oscar preview as we're getting ready for finally the Oscars celebrating the 2020 films. Uh, until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side.